Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. You might notice something different about uh, this week. Different title, Carol. Different title. Different title of the episode. Okay. Because it's it's the, the best of. It's the... 1996 is almost over. Yeah. I didn't get to say, hey, what's up? And now my brain is exploding. So. <laughs> well, that's how we're ending 1996. <laughs> Carol's exploding brain. But yes, the year is almost over and happy Christmas and... Yeah, like they say in England. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe we'll go to England in the new year. Who knows? Okay, nineteen ninety-seven, the year of us going to England. I guess. <laughs> Who knows? I hope you guys had a good Christmas. Mm-hmm. We did. Yeah, and we will see you in the new year. So we made this tape for you. All right. Well, we'll see you in uh, nineteen ninety-seven, but. For now, enjoy this. Bye. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the 90210 Show. My name is Mark. With me, as always, is my girlfriend, Carol. How are you doing, Carol? Hey, what's up? <laughs> much. It's January Why are you 25th. Laughing? Why are you laughing? Not much. It's January 25th, 1996. <laughs> and I'm laughing because... Of how I'm doing the intro, and you're just dead eye staring <laughs> at the wall. Like, you're not looking at me. You're not making it. You're just glassy-eyed, not blinking, <laughs> just staring at the wall. I don't know what you were thinking about or what was going on in your brain. <laughs> I was thinking about the day, <laughs> the week. <laughs> and the date. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> January 25th, 1996. <laughs> it's a great day. <laughs> it is a great day. I think, you, I think you very much identify with the Valerie character. You think so? Yeah. Why? I, I, I just think you do. I you think, think I'm you... a bitch and a whore? What the fuck? <laughs> But what if I want to put naked pictures on it and then, like, a six-year-old went to it? I, I don't think you could be held liable for that, necessarily. Well, good, but, I mean, that ah, should... Good, because you've already done it. <laughs> no. And I posted, and I posted the, uh, the URL all over kindergartens. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. You think she's a bitch in a war? <laughs> a little bit. Oh, I don't think so. She put on the little back black dress. She she lost her her father. Yeah. She's hot like you. She has dark hair like you. She is kind of like she kind of rides that line between being good and being bad. Does she? And so do you. Really? Yeah. Well, you ride that line. Well, I'm glad to know that I I'm like, you know, Valerie hotness or whatever, but but uh, not uh but you're not a bitch or a whore. <laughs> anyway. She's sleeping with one guy. I don't know how that makes her a whore. Because she sought him out. Oh, my God. <laughs> what are you, a mother from 1956? <laughs> she asked him out on a date. What a hussy. 
But I mean, she got into the little black dress and went out looking for it. Oh, no. <laughs> and she runs into Donna, who wants her to go cheer up David because they're having an argument, which we'll get to. Oh, yeah. And she grabs David and starts dancing with him because it's the freshman dance contest. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to dance with, uh, what's her name? Donna. Tori Spelling, because they're having an argument. And they win because they're like dry humping in the middle of the <laughs> yeah. dance. Uh, I know. I was thinking what? like, well, if you want some sex, uh, uh, what's his name? Then <laughs> David, then I guess Brenda's willing. Right. It's like, what is happening right now? And Donna's just watching and, like, smiling and happy for them. I'd be like, I would not be okay. Could you imagine Donna's, this is what Donna wants. Donna wants to bring Brenda into their relationship. (laughs) And then her and and David can have sex and and Donna can just sit in the corner and just watch and smile. She'd be like, I want to stay a virgin until I'm married. But go ahead, David, and I'll just watch. That's, That's fucked up. That's how the episode ends. With them fucking making out. Cheating. And then it goes, Melrose plays. But here's the thing. I don't think Dylan cares. I mean, obviously he cares a little. He showed up at the party. He Dylan stared wants him to down. sit in the corner and, and stare at <laughs> John Sears and Kelly. Him and Donna that, have something in common. Is that what you're suggesting? They took them to the fucking arcade. To the arcade. Yeah, they took them to the fucking arcade. <laughs> And the girls were like, isn't this a little forward? <laughs> All the dirty games. Yeah. There's uh, uh, guys are bending girls over and the skee-ball machine. They've got that one from Cedar Point, that, like, fester machine. That's that, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> it's like a giant vibrating dildo. But it's called Fister instead of Fester. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um. No- I mean, he was talking about some stupid, like, thing that he read to help him decorate his cell. Like, it sounds yeah. like it was a pretty schwanky, uh oh, Schwanky? Yeah. Is that when you get excited, but it's also high class? <laughs> you get an erection in a tuxedo. It's called a schwanky. There you go. <laughs> There's a lot of, you'll find a lot of schwankies at prom. Bittersweet. Yeah. It's a bittersweet mail day in the Zuckerman household. Because right? she gets a letter from Yale. Yeah. And she asks Grandma, is it thick or thin? Because we all know. <laughs> we all know thick's better. And uh, she says it's thin. Mm-hmm. So she is sure that means that she is not getting in. But apparently they're sending that thick ass stuff through the mail separately. It's, you know, it's. <laughs> It's interesting because usually thin is easier to get in, but not as good. I mean, for, okay. girl, for girls, I assume. I, I, I was going to say. I guess I shouldn't be talking about hmm. what I don't know about. But um, now I'm, like, distracted. Okay. With the what? Thick and thin things. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, she gets in. She gets into Yale. She's very excited. Yeah. She also gets a letter from the guy that she's still dating that we didn't know yeah. she was still also, dating. Also thought this relationship was over. Right. The the guy that went to the the Republican National Convention. Yes, the young Republican. He uh, he breaks it off with Brand- with uh, Andrea and Brandon. <laughs> Says I also don't want to see you anymore, Brandon. And um, I heard your thoughts about homeless people. 
right? They can rot in hell. <laughs> so somehow then they end up watching a movie together. She invites him to babysit with her. That's what it is. They watch the only movie that they got the rights to show. It's a Wonderful Life, the very right? movie they're parodying. It's like the fourth time in this mo- in this episode that mm-hmm. this movie's been on. Yeah. I pointed out how funny it is to me because one of the, the scenes that they're watching is when, uh, what's her name, uh, Donna Reed and Jimmy Stewart are dancing at the high school dance and the the pool opens up. I'm sure mm-hmm. you all know it. It's a classic scene. Yeah. And I, I laughed and pointed out how they're supposed to be in high school. <laughs> See, they're not chaperones. <laughs> they're they're 45-year-old high schoolers. Right. In that, I mean, we think Aunt Andrea looks old. Yeah, it was pretty messed for up. high schooler. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Stewart looks like he could be somebody's grandfather that's going to that high school. And so while they're watching this movie and they're so happy and the movie ends and they're snuggling on the couch, basically. Oh, yeah. yeah. She brings up about how Brandon tried to, uh, you know, convince her to stay at the beach club Mm -hmm. by kissing her. Yeah. And then the kissing happens again. And they start kissing. Or what Brandon's idea of kissing is, which is apparently rubbing the side of his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Jason Priestley's Jason Priestley's I'm a professional kissing posture Uh you know when he's doing because I assume it's much different than his than his personal kissing oh would you would you know uh, anything you want to share with us (laughs) yeah 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 I have first hand knowledge he's very tender um (laughs) but he you know it's not a full on kiss and he like half of his mouth is to the side, just working like a fish. Yeah, it's weird. Because, he, you know, he's trying to be professional and he's trying not to do a full-on making-out kiss. He does. Strong he, jawline, dark hair, same haircut. Not quite as muscular as John Sears. No. That's about it. But yeah, he's very generic. But even so, he's still handsome. And it's college. He could get with a lot of girls that are what right. they what they call DTF. <laughs> what the fuck? What is DTF? How about GTG? I don't know what any of this means. Good to go. And down to fuck. Okay, where did you hear this bullshit? Uh, so, okay. I, I hate to admit this, but... A few years ago, Ted Danson and what's his name, uh, or what's her name, from Family Ties, Justine Bateman and her brother Jason Bateman, the okay. three of them got together. I believe they were court-ordered to do this. <laughs> and they made a VHS tape called How Do I Know If I'm Really in Love? Okay. It was probably about... I don't know, maybe, maybe a little less than 10 years ago that they did this. And they, it's terrible, but it's about, it's, it's essentially, it's kind of about abstinence, about preaching abstinence, sort of. Mm-hmm. But they have this musical number of where they're like, is she 
DTF? Is she GTG? Oh my god! And they've got it on the their shirts. Like they have the different ones on their shirts. And it's like, um, what's the other one? NATO. It's the Scarlet Letter. No action, talk only. So there was there was there's a lot of a lot of those uh, shirts and acronyms that were in that thing, and that's kind of, that's why I learned it okay. when I was a younger man than I am today. <laughs> because for some reason, I don't remember why, but for some reason, someone in my house bought that tape. Really? Like you didn't just happen upon this? It wasn't forced on you in Sunday school, or no, 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 no. It was in the house. It was in our house. Wow. I put it in our VHS player. And pressed play. Who the fuck? I don't. I don't know why. We need it was... to interrogate your family later and find out where what? this tape came from. Why it was on the tape shelf? That is hilarious. Seriously though, Ted Danson is hilarious, and he's like, um, he's got his little black book. Mm. He's basically playing Sam Malone, and he's like, "Here's my list of excuses for why a woman needs to have sex with me, or something." He doesn't actually say that, but he's mm. like, "You know, you'd do it if you loved me." Uh, come on, you know, everybody's like all those cliches. Right. And he's going down the list pretending like this is how he's like, but it's also like a warning, like, you know, these are the cheesy lines that guys are going to give mm. you. And Justine Bateman appears in a little circle above his head and she's like, come on. <laughs> Did I ever tell cream. you to cream? Yeah. That I actually got asked out by a homeless dude when I was working at the soup kitchen. No, really? I mean, you, I, I, you and homeless guys. There's something about <laughs> you, like you have, right? Something about your your sense maybe is an aphrodisiac to homeless men. <laughs> well, I think it's an aphrodisiac to you. Uh, what does that say about you? <laughs> One um, day I'll be homeless. Right? No, like I shouldn't. I shouldn't even say homeless. A dude that was there at the soup kitchen. He may not have been homeless. <laughs> he claims he was the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, <laughs> but he really loves that soup. He's turned into the, the guy that's just covered in ticks next to him. And it's like, you can't get this Mulligatani anywhere else. <laughs> See, I was checking people in. So mm-hmm. I'm at the front and I'm just taking down their names and their social security numbers because that's what they. Oh, what if they don't have a social security number or they don't remember then it? Then they just, and you don't get it, but whatever. Like that and their birthday, I think. Like you just get a little bit of information so they can keep track of who they're serving. Gotcha. Um. So I was writing all that down and then this piece of paper is all like folded up and just like flies in front of my face, like onto the thing. And I'm like, where did this come from? Like, I didn't even see where it came from. And you opened it up and it said, do you like me? It was, and a, it was like, a yes, no, maybe pretty long letter actually okay. <laughs> talking about like, uh, I, I don't usually come here. I'm with a friend, <laughs> like all this whole thing. And then, um, you know, let me know if you want to go out sometime with the the phone number to call. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I don't uh, I don't frequent places like that. I'm just hanging out with my homeless friend. And like I look, I'm looking around the room, like trying to figure out who was this from? I mean, I don't even know what the dude looks like. The only thing I know about you is that you're in a soup kitchen right now. Right. Not happening, my friend. But I mean, it's still kind of sweet. He said I was pretty and stuff. So, you know, that's nice. Yeah, I guess it's. Always nice to hear you're pretty. Nice to get invited to the party, even if you don't want to go. Right. <laughs> right. And then for Brandon, Nikki shows back up just out of nowhere. Like, I thought she was gone. For those of you that don't remember, Nikki played Audrey in, <laughs> in uh, National, National Lampoon's, Lampoon's Vacation. vacation. <laughs> yes. And uh, we see her because she's literally laying on top of him. Oh, yeah. 
And um, he's like, no one's going to come in. I've got them well-trained. And then his mom busts in. No knock at None. all. And then instead of like being like, oh, sorry, and closing the door on her, you know, almost 18-year-old son. She's right? like, I'm so she sorry, Brandon. She just stands there staring at them. Has Jim not been taking care of his uh, husbandly duty or something? Right? <laughs> It's just so, and, and like, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, Brandon. Dad canceled Cinemax, so I'm gonna have, <laughs> oh. I have to stay right here. Ew, ew, ew. <clears throat> so we saw striptease. Yes, yes, which we you did. can tell by the title of this tape. Uh so this is what I have to say, Karen. I would love to hear what you have to say, Mark. This movie was a cartoon. And everybody in this movie is a cartoon character, with the exception of Demi Moore and her daughter. Wow. They are living in a cartoon world. Everybody, like, I don't know what the direction was in this movie. I don't know how they were directed to act, but every single character is a cartoon version of a real person. (laughs) Most of all, Burt Reynolds (laughs) as Congressman dildo or whatever he said his name was wait 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 that was burt reynolds you didn't recognize that as burt reynolds no burt reynolds from 90210 burt reynolds that walked into the peach pit that's That's correct yes no yes he didn't look like burt reynolds because he had a white wig on a white hair wig on and he just and he didn't have a mustache either so Mm. i mean that's part of it I can't I've only ever seen him with mustaches. I can't remember if he had a mustache or not. He did not. He had a baby pie dough face. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Covered with white hair and then shiny from fucking Vaseline. Oh, yeah. Ugh. He's still looking good, though. No, no, no. Nothing about him was looking good. I mean, like, muscular, mus- muscle-wise. He's still looking good. I just don't get it, because, like, I thought Burt Reynolds was kind of attractive, and this guy was not attractive at all. <laughs> He's... He, that was my Burt Reynolds laugh. Uh, he, he... Okay. But they they made him up, obviously. He looks a little different, because he's made up, but... That's eh, Burt Reynolds. Wow. Interesting. Okay. I learn new things every day. <laughs> That's how much of a cartoon character he was. He didn't even <laughs> recognize him. Yeah. But everyone was. The bad guys in this movie are three sugar magnates that need a congressman to lob to like to lobby for them and give them good laws and stuff. Why? Like for for what reason? They're sugar. I what? Don't, Why no. are they operating like it's the mob? They have a boat that's called Big Sugar. <laughs> like it's, well, oh yeah, that's like, not his boat. Like Big Oil. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like it's it's ridiculous. What, so they're, it looks like they're, I mean, they don't go into this at all, but it looks like, I guess, they're exploiting labor. They're exploiting, uh, uh, like, you know, foreign workers and stuff like that. Probably. Probably illegal, probably paying them much less than minimum wage and everything. Um, They do say, oh, how much are they getting paid? And I was like, oh, like $30 a day. Yeah. But with all the cigarettes and alcohol that they buy, well, maybe they're paying us. Because I guess they're selling them stuff, like the old miner thing. You know that song, uh, 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper and dead. You know that song? Mm-hmm. And it's a, the, the, you know, the climax of it is, I owe my soul to the company yeah. store. So miners, 
they used to have cities because like these cities would pop up around my mines mm-hmm. and the miners would come there and they'd have to live there right and anything they wanted because there's nothing yeah like hundreds of miles would come from the company store the company owned and operated the store and they would raise prices and stuff like that they used to pay them in vouchers oh my god that could be redeemed at the company store and not in real money so basically slavery Wow. Until somebody challenged that and that was deemed illegal and everything like that. But, you know, they were basically getting free labor in exchange for some, you know, room and board, which is slavery. You know, um, when I worked at 7-Eleven, mm-hmm. we were allowed to uh, put things on our account to be taken out of our paychecks. Yeah. I mean, that's a little different because they also pay you in real money that you can spend anywhere. Yeah. But, you know, I would end up spending a lot of my paycheck before I got it. <laughs> Because it's like you're bored. Like, sometimes it's slow, and you're surrounded by junk food, and you're bored. And cigarettes. And, yeah, yeah, so you just sit there and smoke and eat and pay for it. Sounds Uh, good. Yeah. Like, I probably spend, like, an hour's worth of pay minimum every time I work. (laughs) Well, anyway, so these people are exploited, and I guess that's what they need them for. But it's like, I don't know. Big sugar is not intimidating to me. Yeah. As an industry. That's weird. And we get very little of them. So, you know, and and then there's their you know, they're the guy that's I don't know, their concierge or whatever. The guy that's meeting out all this justice for them, making sure people are killed and, and stuff like that. In the name of big sugar. I just I don't fucking get this at all. But, uh, yeah, they're cartoons. All of them are cartoon characters. Her ex-husband, Robert Patrick. Mm-hmm. Terminator 2's own liquid metal, Robert <gasps> Patrick. That's who that was? Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, I can at least see that. Also, a cartoon character. For sure, like, yeah. A cartoon character of a human being. At one point, takes dog Vicodin. Well, I'm sorry. His, his sister raises wolves. Yes. So, wolf Vicodin. <laughs> And has a club or a, a golf club strapped to his arm. The most Florida thing ever. This takes place in Florida, by the way, which is the most believable thing about the entire movie is that these cartoon characters would be in Florida. Right. But yeah, I thought that Demi Moore was the only realistic character and her daughter. And it's like even Armand DeSante, who's the plays the, the detective. Even he's kind of like a cartoon character. At one point, Ving Rames and him are in a car, and Ving Rames is like, uh, so uh, we're a bouncer and a detective, and we're going to take on uh, this congressman. And he's like, and we got a couple strippers and, and kids in the back. You know, we're doing good or whatever. Right. It's like, you guys understand that you're in a fucking farce, right? <laughs> but it's so, there are so many scenes where it's like, there are scenes like that where it's like, this is a farce. And then there are scenes of very intimate tenderness. And I don't know if just Demi Moore's just too good of an actress for this movie. Maybe. Or what? Because, yeah, I mean, honestly, I was moved to tears multiple times by Demi Moore and her daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, those two are in a different movie <laughs> than the one we're watching. Right. Like, I don't understand what's going on. But, yeah, I mean, basically, like, her... Ex-husband gets custody of their child, even though he is a pill-popping addict who is an informant for the police, which, by the way, rather than being 
rather than being, it was me. Go ahead. Um, Pill popping informant for the police. Yeah, rather than being a point in his favor, should like be against him because that means that he's in situations where he has information to give the police about the bad guys. Yeah, like drugs. Like. Why should they be like, yes, let's give him a seven-year-old child to take care of? What the judge said is he was a hell of a, uh, a high school tailback or something Whatever. like that. Whatever. It's like, I know, f- this isn't Texas, okay? F- Florida, sure, there's a lot of football there, but come on. Yeah. it w- The whole thing was fucking ridiculous. Are, do you think that's a O.J. Simpson reference they're supposed to be? Because he was a running back. He was a tailback. I don't he think so. two people, probably, and got away with it. I don't know, but I mean, I like I like your point of view that it seems like cartoons because, like, yeah, the movies seem very ridiculous at times, and that that fits the best. I assume that it's going to be compared, or it's already been compared to uh, Showgirls in in a way because mm-hmm. there's striptease and Showgirls, and I get it. Showgirls was ridiculous, one very. of the worst things I've ever seen, and a that wasn't a cartoon. That was like. That was like melodrama overload. That was that was like a soap opera had sex with a pornographic film. Right. And that was the the, the baby that they <laughs> But what's funny is is I think her name is Renee Rifle or Renee Riffle or something like that. She's in both fucking movies. The one that plays Penny in Showgirls is also, I think, in the same wig. In, yeah. in this movie, as another stripper in the background, she's getting typecast as stripper in the background. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing, like, with Demi Moore's character, I mean, yes, I was sympathetic to her, but she had a lot of poor judgment also. Oh, like, yeah. I'm not sure that she was really fit to raise this child either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because she did bring her to this. First, she kidnapped her. Yes. Which snatched her as uh, <laughs> as her her real life daughter plays her daughter in this movie. Rumor Willis, mm. Bruce Willis, Demi Moore, which is awesome. And like you can see, you know, I, I think that helped. I think that made it, you know, much more real. There's a connection there, just an inherent connection. Mm-hmm. And there's a a they look, you know, alike. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, she she's like you said, snatched her from the dad, and then. Just goes back to her place that she lives. Like, he knows where you live. Mm-hmm. He obviously uh, knows where she works because he showed up there. Yeah, he showed up there with a knife trying to kill her. Why didn't he just call the police and say, hey, my child right? has been taken? I Instead, mean, he goes there with a knife to attempt to murder her. He's a police informant. He should have police friends that he could call. And then, after he attempts to murder her, Armand, Armand Asante is like, yeah, he's gonna get uh, ba- he's gonna get uh, bailed in in a couple days because you know he brandished a knife and everything, but he didn't actually kill you. And she's like, "Oh, if he killed me, could I press charges then?" Right. It's attempted murder. So ridiculous. He at least assaulted her, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't battery. He at least assaulted her, grabbed her neck, held a knife to her throat. That is attempted murder, right? At least. I would think so. It's threatening. I mean, the only reason that, like, he didn't continue on with whatever he was going to do is because the security guard came out there and beat his ass. That's right, because black uh, Superman, <laughs> Ving Rhames' character, who can do pretty much anything, 
uh, comes comes in there. At one point, he walks towards two people who are who are pointing guns at him. Yeah, and at no point, and who have murdered people in the past, who at no point decide to shoot him, and then that he dives at them, <laughs> like in a comically sh- yeah. in a shot that's from below, so it's almost like he's flying <laughs> and slams into them. And then they get covered in sugar at one point. That was the stupidest thing in the whole movie. I mean, is that not a Looney Tunes ending to a movie? And, like, the outfit she wore at the end of the movie added to the ridiculousness. Because Mm -hmm. it was like she had a fucking cattail or something, like, with these boas wrapped around her. Exactly. I expected Pepe Le Pew to start, like, "Mm, machete. And that was was Burt Reynolds' direction. (laughs) Pepe Le Pew. Right. And... It just ends with the end. There's no resolution to anything. Carol says, the movie's over. We're in the theater. It says the end in big letters on the screen. And Carol's like, we don't even know if she's going to get her child back. And I, and I said, oh, her ex-husband signed that paper. <laughs> she's Serena, Serena. Like, this is legally binding in any way. This guy is bleeding, having think he thinks he just murdered somebody, which he didn't, is high on Vicodin and, and alcohol. And she says to him, you're going to get arrested for what you did. So I don't want her to go to foster care. So sign this paper that says... Uh, you give full custody to me. It's not notarized. There's no witness. But that's just legally well, binding. Actually, I mean, there is a witness. The detective. The detective didn't watch him sign it. He was in the car with them. No, he wasn't. Yeah. They came separately. Oh. She was in the car with Burt Reynolds. Ving the- Rhames, his character, was there. No, Ving mm-hmm. Rhames was the detective. The, Somebody was there. The black limo driver. Burt Reynolds' his character, right. You're right. Yes. And Pierre, yes. So there were witnesses that could testify to how high he was. Right, exactly. (laughs) What are they going to testify to? But I was like, she was holding a gun. She's good. Yeah, she had a gun on him. (laughs) But I was like, yeah, she's going to get. He signed that paper. It's it's sealed. (sighs) Yeah, it was a really dumb movie. That's ironclad. And like, okay, even saying this dude did get custody of this little girl, which. (laughs) That wouldn't have happened in not, real life. No, not in real life. I mean, it also does not make sense that she then decides, I'm going to get a job at a strip club to earn the money to appeal this decision. Yeah, we don't get any, there's no indicate. like like I said after the movie to when we were talking privately, if, if she had been a stripper the whole time mm-hmm. and the judge was like, no, that's not a wholesome environment, fuck you, he's going to get custody. That would make more sense. Yes. Than the fact that she was a secretary for the FBI and she got fired because of her husband somehow. I don't exactly understand that. Well, shit like that happens, like, especially with these abusive assholes. He'll just, like, show up at her work over and over, keep calling, you know, okay. causing a ruckus, and they'll fire her. But we, I, I agree with that, but we don't see any of that, and we don't know that that's what happened. Like, we don't get any explanation for it. You said, and I think you said this very accurately, that there's an entire movie before this yes. movie takes place. And I definitely agree. Um, and so then she goes from that to stripping. I don't know. There's no, like, whose who's thought process goes like that? Well, I guess I got to strip now. Right. Because I lost my job as a secretary for a 
very like high end government organization. I'm sure she had to get security clearance and shit to have this job. So you would think she'd be able to get a job at fucking the sugar people could have hired her right? as a fucking secretary. I mean, what the hell? Yeah, it's. I don't think it's that hard to get a job as a secretary. And she had very good experience, like you said. So yeah, yeah, so it doesn't make any sense how she went from that to stripping. She should have just been a stripper the entire time. I and mean, the only reason I could see is that is the money, because you can make more money as a stripper than as a secretary. Well, if you look like Demi Moore, you could, sure. <laughs> but... Yeah, th- this is one of the. This is like the only movie I think I've ever seen where there's a character, either male or female, where it's everyone's like, "Oh my god, I, I want that person." That I'm actually like, "Okay, I understand that." Yeah, she is really hot. Um, but yeah, weird, weird movie. That that lawyer that gets killed, mm-hmm. uh, the one from Mannequin, <laughs> Mannequin Two, actually on the move. Okay. Uh, he uh, he's a cartoon character. Everyone in this movie, it's, that's what it is. It's a big Looney Tunes cartoon with live action people in it. And at the center of it, an actual human story between a mother and her daughter. Yeah, like uh, the cockroach and the yogurt. Mm-hmm. That was very, and then she crunched through and ate it. Like that was a, a cartoony moment too. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, I, there's so much about this movie I don't understand. At first I was thinking... I kind of like this movie. I was like, oh, this movie's better than I thought it was going to be. There's dramatic weight. There's stakes. I, I understand the plot. This guy's corrupt. They're going to try to bring him down, all this stuff. And it's like, but very quickly, like maybe 20, 30 minutes into it, it just becomes a farce. And then the movie is... The movie is schizophrenic. It's unbalanced. Mm -hmm. There are scenes that are very, not tense necessarily, but there are scenes that are very, like, heartfelt and earnest. And then there's farcical scenes. And they don't don't play well together, these two elements. Yeah. And I just, uh, yeah, it was weird. Yeah, I mean, like, it was enjoyable to watch, but looking at it critically, it's not a good movie. Yeah, the tone of this movie is all over the place. Mm Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I would say the, I would say the the pacing and the plot I think are fine. Like the the underlining story, a lot of the bones of this are okay, aside from the tone and the unrealistic nature of it. Well, that's what I mean. That's that's part of the yeah. That's part of the tone for sure. And that's that's the that's the weird part about this movie. It's really hard to categorize this movie as anything. And I think this movie is going to suffer from the fact that. All the, the like trailers and all the publicity and the marketing for this is like Demi Moore, scantily clad, strip tease, and it's like everyone's gonna be like, let's go see Demi Moore naked, mm-hmm. and it's not Showgirls, it's not that movie. Yeah, I it, mean there is some Demi Moore nakedness. Yeah, she's definitely naked in the movie. And even when she's not naked, she's dressed pretty sexy most of the time. So, yeah. I mean, you get you get that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's de- a payoff there. It delivers on that for sure, but it's not it's not just that. It's no. not just salaciousness. There's an actual story here that is sometimes treated seriously and sometimes treated like a cartoon. Yeah. And yeah, so I I think I think the movie's going to hurt from that aspect too. Because people are going to go in there and be like, ah, I don't, well, I didn't want all this 
like you know fucking plot. <laughs> you know what I think the movie needed? What gators? <laughs> gators. Well, come on, it's Florida. There's water. There should have been gators. There was a bleeding dude in the water. Yeah, that's true. Nobody mentioned him being eaten by gators. Hmm. So you think that uh, it should have been like the end of uh, what is it, Romancing the Stone? Yes. Where he's got the alligator boots. I love that movie. It's a good movie. Uh, yeah, this was weird. <laughs> this movie was weird. I don't know. I was entertained. Yeah. I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. But it was it was weird. Um, I guess if you do you want to see Demi Moore's boobs? Then probably go see it. Well, there are also many other boobs that you get to see in the movie, and some of them are like comically large. Oh yeah, they look like they're gonna pop. The like very, the balloons the that very, are gonna pop. The very first one. Yeah. The very first girl that you see on the stage. Yeah, that's. I was like, wow. I mean, that's that's too big. <laughs> that's obviously not real, right? But that's yeah. That was. I want to know how they get the skin. To stay smooth and supple looking when being stretched like that. Well, I think skin's pretty pretty pliable, I think. But I mean, like, okay, when I first got boobs, mm-hmm. I got all these, like, st- stretch marks, right? Mm-hmm. And, and even though they fade, they're still there. Not really. And I can't, um, I can't imagine that there's no stretch marks on those boobs. I'll bet you there are. Oh, she's showing me her boobs, folks. Okay, I guess the stretch marks are mostly gone now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it took a while. You can do that any ever any show you want to. <laughs> by the way. Um, but yeah, I, there probably are some, but I think there are things you can do as far as like creams and stuff yeah. like that, where it doesn't necessarily take them away, but it minimizes the appearance of them. So I'm sure they did that for this movie. I'm sure there was a lot of makeup on chests, right, and right, stuff right. like that in this movie. Uh, but yeah, I I don't I don't I've never dated anyone that has that had artificial breasts or had breast implants or anything. So I've I don't I have no experience. I've never seen artificial breasts naked. Yeah. I don't know. They looked like they would not be outside of a movie. I should say, yeah, like they... in real life where they wouldn't have put makeup on and stuff. They looked like they would not be. Uh cuddly they looked very hard agreed when they're that big and they're standing up like that because they're you know they're filled with silicone or whatever um yeah that's not you know i'd be afraid to pop them because i mean come on inside aren't they really like silicon filled balloons basically they're bags right so it's like a balloon it's like a water balloon in your boob i guess i'm pretty sure they're pretty tough though uh, Which is part of why they're not as cuddly. That's why they're harder. Me. The whole thing scares me, but <laughs> this movie scared me. But I've got one question for you. Yeah. Haven't you ever covered your whole body in Vaseline? Oh, my God. <laughs> it kind of made me want to, though, seeing him. He, he, seemed, he seemed like he was really enjoying it. <laughs> I like the feeling of it scushing between my toes. Ew. Burt Reynolds was good in this movie, but he was good as a cartoon character. Like this wasn't a real performance, right? This this was a this was a a farcical performance. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. 
Well, would you recommend this movie to people? Yeah, I just want to make sure they know what they're getting into. Yeah, don't go in thinking that this is going to be a serious movie, and don't go in thinking that it's just going to be an hour and a half of Demi Moore stripping, because it's not either of those things. You'll get a little bit of Demi Moore stripping. You'll get a little bit of seriousness, about the same amount. And the rest of it is going to be like watching Bugs Bunny uh, fucking chase, I don't know, Elmer Fudd around or something like that. Yeah, kind of. But it reminds me a little bit of the Hope and Crosby road movies. No clue what that is. Bing Crosby and Bob Hope did these different movies like Road to Morocco, Road to wherever. And they would they were like travel movies where they were they were two friends or whatever and they they got in a mixed up adventure going someplace. So we're going into grandpa mode again. I got it. Oh my god. He's like eighty. I don't know how, but he is. I've never seen any of these movies you're talking about. You've never even heard of any of the Road Two movies. No. Oh my god. The only things I saw with Bing Crosby were like Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and he's not in that. What are you talking about? <laughs> Was he in anything with Marilyn Monroe? No. Oh, then I don't know if I've ever seen anything with Bing Crosby. <laughs> Holy shit. Who did you think Bing Crosby was in that movie? One of the two guys. No, there's Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell, and there's two dudes that they're like with. They're the gentlemen. You're correct. (laughs) But I thought Bing Crosby was one of them. You thought Bing Crosby would reduce himself to being listed as a gentleman? I don't know. That's Charles Coburn and Tommy Newton. (laughs) So I thought he was one of them. I guess you must have thought he was uh, uh, eyes like... Tommy Noonan looks like a freak. Wow. I just want to... harsh. I mean, rest in peace, Tommy Noonan. Yeah, because you're so old. Because you're a grandpa. Oh, my God. (sighs) But but his eyes are not... not, Like, one's way lower than the other one. One looks like it's in a race to his lip. (laughs) And it's got a big head start. I mean, you know, she's leaving, so unfortunately we're never going to see her again because right. that's what happens with Brandon's girls. Right. But... <laughs> Brandon's girls. <laughs> she's just going to get thrown on the pile. Yep, out in the desert. Just another one of Brandon's girls. <laughs> but no, I mean, I liked, I liked how they left things. With I want them. an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> just following all of Brandon's girls. <laughs> oh my God, that would be awesome. And then Steve sees the car going the wrong way down the one-way street. Sees this truck. He's like, hey, you're going the wrong way. Yeah, he's yelling at him. You're going the wrong way. All this stuff and everything, right? So they would have witnessed this horror show. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So the bus is coming. Truck's coming. They go through the intersection at the same time. The bus or the, the truck becomes pixels or whatever <laughs> it glows blue they use the the worst effects that they could find right i, I don't know where they got the you know what I, I don't know if this is a computer program i don't know what they're using for effects but it's not good no so it becomes translucent or whatever and it passes through and everything's fine and 
we go to the Angels, and she's like, Clarence, how did you do it? And he's like, I didn't do it. You know, it was the guy upstairs. You know, they don't actually say God, but it was, you know, it was God that did it. Right? And then she's like, a higher power? Yeah, exactly. So. <sighs> That's then, bullshit. Then the bus gets there, right? What's bullshit about it? Just that they, they won't say God or whatever. The bus gets there, and Steve's like, puts on his sheepish, sheepish face, and he's like, Hey, you know, can I be, you know, I'm here and everything. And she's like, be Santa Claus, basically. Gives him the Santa Claus stuff. So he gets to be what he wants, right? But here's what didn't happen. What didn't happen was Steve didn't run up to the bus and go, holy fuck, what just happened? (laughs) There was a truck that was about to hit you, and then it phased through the bus. (laughs) What the fuck did I just witness? This should be the only thing that Steve wants to talk about now <laughs> for the rest of his life. Well, obviously. When he's in detention and they're like, do you know what you did wrong, Steve? Steve would be like, I don't even know my name anymore. I just saw a fucking truck phase through a bus. So this is the 90210 show, right? Uh, yeah, it is. No, it's, it's, a, it's phobia central. <laughs> so where we talk about our fears. Oh, mm-hmm. how about spiders? <gasps> I killed a spider today. Did you really? I did. Where was it? Under my desk. Oh my goodness! It was giant. I yeah. screamed. I ran. It ran, but I won. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck! It did. <laughs> That's like the worst retelling of the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> I screamed. It screamed. It ran, I ran, but I won. <laughs> well, I did. I got to peel it off the bottom of a shoe and flush oh it down the toilet. God. <laughs> How big was it? Oh, for for those of you who can't see us, which is oh. everyone. <laughs> Sorry. She held up her hand <laughs> around the circumference of my penis. Oh, no. No, no, not, not quite that big. No, I, I was saying... Probably about like a quarter, quarter to half dollar size. That's big. Yeah. Is that including the legs? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So usually sure. when I talk about the size of a spider, I, I talk about the body itself. Well, the body was diamond shaped. And the fact that I can tell you that tells you how big the fucking oh, spider yeah. diamond shaped. Yeah. Sounds like a brown recluse. Oh, God. That's frightening. Yeah. Those Ooh. are, those are uh, venomous. I don't think we have those here. We do. Holy shit, I almost died today. We have uh, brown recluse and black widow. Those are the two venomous spiders that exist in Michigan. I mean, I know they exist in Michigan, but I don't think we have them here. Oh, you mean in in this house that you... Like, I think they only exist in, like, the woods and, like, up north and stuff. That's true. They're, it's like uh, It's like rabbits. You never see rabbits around here. They only exist in the woods. <laughs> Anything that's in the woods, like a, a, black, or a brown recluse spider will get to the edge of the woods and be like, no, wait, I can't, can't leave the woods. <laughs> no one will expect me to be out here. <laughs> okay, fine. You hear so... the spider's mom, spider, come on back. You're going too far. <laughs> you can only ride your bike to the end of the woods. Oh my god, I'm so frightened. Actually, I have no idea what what the brown clues body shape is. You're an asshole. We're going to the library and getting a spider book 
with pictures and finding whatever the fuck I saw, but I'm not looking because I'll vomit. Okay. Okay. This has been spider talk. Prior to this, Andrea had taken them to the lab. Lab 33. And shown them that they're somehow using cats to research SIDS. Yep. I don't understand the correlation. Carol, cats has four letters and SIDS has four <laughs> right? letters. It's very clear. And and Brenda... You just see a bunch of scientists. There's a big blackboard that says C equals S. <laughs> That's their research. Right. I mean, they like, didn't you see their research? It was smeared and shit on the wall. <laughs> I'll tell you what else we'll put on record. We watched a movie. That's we it. did. Done. <laughs> see you next week. <laughs> There's actually more Mad About You crossover. Yeah, that's true. One more. Helen Hunt. Yep. Because <laughs> she... It's the Mad About You episode. She stars in Twister. You think she got made fun of when she was a little girl why helen her last name rhymes with oh i never thought about that ever i would think that bullies that'd be bullies would be ripe for that that's one of my least favorite words (laughs) why didn't say it because i'm not an idiot oh i hope not i hope nobody ever did that to her i wonder that's not her that's that's like her real name right it's not a stage name, and it's not like a married name. I don't know. That's her real maiden name. I have no Helen clue. Helen Hunt. Maybe. The kids will think of any anything. Yeah. They made fun of my dad. Why? My I I asked my dad one time if he if he liked his middle name. His middle name is Cheever. And he was like, "No, I hate it." And I said, "Why?" And he was like, "Kids used to make fun of me." And I was like, "How?" And he goes, uh, it'd be like, John Cheater. <laughs> that was like, that just makes me feel bad for your bullies. <laughs> they couldn't come up with anything better than Cheater. Right. It's the lamest fucking insult I've ever heard in my life. That's pretty bad. It's not even a rhyme. And it's just a stupid, like, it's, it's, it's barely an insult. Cheater. Well, they're cheaters. Speaking of cheaters. Bill uh, Bill Paxson's uh, borderline a cheater in this movie. Why do you say that? Because he's he's gonna marry Jamie Gertz, and then he's like, nah. Uh, he didn't cheat. No, not technically, but I mean, he said to her over the radio. He says to Helen Hunt over the radio. Oh, by the way, the Twister's name. Of the <laughs> yeah, we saw Twister. It's the title, so you should know. But yeah, he says to he's like like oh you got me or whatever he says to Helen Hunt. Yeah, and and Jamie Gertz hears it over the radio and she's like I'm out. Yeah, well that was really shitty. But I mean like he didn't kiss her or anything. No, he just professed his undying love. You know that's so much better. It just seems really weird. How long do you think were they were? Separated. Oh, not long enough, obviously. (laughs) I mean, long enough for him to meet someone else and get engaged. But she says, like, you know, how many women were there in between? He's like, there was nobody in between you and her. You know that or whatever. And it's like, it seems like they've been separated for a while. It, It has to have been at least one year. I would say more than that. 
And I mean, like they were working, but they were working on the same project that she is working on still. But how, how you know, it, I mean, it seems like he was there at the conception phase. Yeah. And now it's just been finished. So that could have taken a while. Okay, so a couple years maybe. Yeah, I'd say at least two, maybe three. Yeah. I don't know, but I mean, it was obvious that they had more chemistry. Oh, palpable chemistry on screen. So Bill Paxson and Helen Hunt. I mean, they definitely should have stayed together. She's the tough, no-nonsense, stand-up-for-herself woman that Bill Paxson needs in his life. They both have strong personalities. Yes. That's why I think they fight. Right. Yeah. And it, I mean, it might not work out. I yeah. mean, like. Maybe they he should have been with Jamie Gertz. Yeah. I mean, they obviously care about each other a lot. I mean, at least he was married to Helen Hunt. He he got to go off and have sex with Jamie Gertz. <laughs> and then uh, and then he gets to be with Helen Hunt again. That's a win yeah. for him. I guess. <laughs> I bet you Helen Hunt was all by herself the whole time. Yeah. Because she's married to that job. Yeah. She was trying to avenge her father's death by finding the tornado that killed. Yeah, the the, the movie. It's a real Moby Dick type thing. The movie starts out showing that this tornado like sucks her father out of their storm. Because by by the way, her father makes the stupidest decision (laughs) of anyone in any movie ever. Right. But I mean, he's just trying to save his family. But. His family was fine. <laughs> but he didn't know. He's like, this huge fucking tornado's coming. They're in their storm sh- shelter, and the door starts, like, rattling, the door to the storm sh- shelter. So I guess he thought that, like, the the tornado was, like, uh, a killer or something, like, trying to break in. <laughs> and he had to keep that door closed at all costs. So he goes over and he's holding the door. And the whole time he's like, I can't hold it. I can't hold it anymore. I can't hold it anymore. While his wife and and young daughter stare at him. And then the door comes off and he just gets almost hilariously. It looks kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Gets sucked into this tornado. Like I expected to see a witch on a broomstick. (laughs) Like cackling as he got sucked in. But guess what? His family... Perfectly fine, because they were a few feet away from the door. Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't think there was any way for anyone to know that they wouldn't have also been sucked out. I mean, I guess it just seems really dumb. Yeah, it would have it would have been more dramatic and made more sense if he holds the door, it bursts open, he gets sucked in, and then the mom and the daughter start getting also pulled in, and then the the tornado just kind of dissipates, like it, like they it does a couple times mm-hmm. in in this movie where the tornado's going and it just like just kind of gossamer like disappears. If that this one had done that, so it was like he did save them, like his sacrifice actually meant something. Yeah, he bought them just enough time with his own life to not also get sucked up. That would have that would have made more sense. Uh, just logically, it would for his character because this way his character just seems like an idiot. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's sad though. Like I wasn't like sitting there watching and thinking, "Oh, you fucking idiot!" I was like sad. Well, I was thinking, "You fucking idiot," <laughs> but I was. It was also sad because his wife and daughter watch him get sucked out. And they're like crying and screaming and stuff. Right, and the dog's just like 
I got saved. I don't care. Yeah, the dog made it. Yeah, it looked like the dog was that. That it was weird to include the dog because it looked like that that was going to be a problem. She was gonna ha- like she was gonna run back to try to get the dog. The dad was gonna save her, and then her doing that caused his death. But that didn't happen at all. Right. The dog just jumped down from the bed and was a little late following them out, but got in there. <laughs> but yeah, so she's forever traumatized, and this has you know informed her entire life. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's very uh, Ahab, Moby Dick kind of feelings here because which doesn't make a ton of sense she she wants to create this dorothy this uh thing that's device that can go inside the tornado and read all the inner things that are happening inside of a tornado so they can get a better idea of how they move and how they form and be able to warn people more right but they also kind of weave through this plot her like defiance at these tornadoes mm-hmm. like almost like she wants to kill these tornadoes to her detriment in a couple different instances like the first one where she's like you know go across the field and stuff and she's like they're they're trying to hide under the bridge her and bill paxson to not be murdered by this tornado and she goes on and she's like i want to see it <laughs> she's was so weird but it's not that she wants to kill the tornado she wants to, she's curious like what happened to her father that's why she wants to know what's going on inside the tornado she she wants to know what happened to him she wants <laughs> she to feel, see it she thinks that like uh she puts those things inside the tornado and her dad's gonna be like i'm okay honey i live in all tornadoes now. oh my god this is what happened. i get i get all the free milk i want too because there's cows <laughs> going around. See, they like like a cow being tossed around by this tornado. Yeah, that's I, funny. I, I suppose I suppose that happens. I don't know. Yeah, I mean the horses outran it, but cows don't run. <laughs> <laughs> See, tornadoes are a tornadoes coming around the the horizon. All the horses are like they're running away. They're like, hey, come on, guys, let's go. The, the cows look and they're like. They just shrug and they're like, we don't run. <laughs> they were just accepting our fate. Right. <laughs> but I, I I loved the movie because it was just kind of like thrilling, like an adventure. Like seeing all the tornadoes and... This is my least favorite kind of movie. Okay. Like the, the disaster kind of the, you know, like apocalypse global destruction, natural disaster, that kind of stuff. The, this type of movie, don't really like them. Hmm. The, you know, the, for instance, uh, like the Poseidon Adventure. I mean, that's a little bit less of one like that, but, uh, you know, like the, like big disaster, right? Like the Poseidon Adventure or, um, i trying to think of a, some other ones, like the Towering Inferno or whatever. See, I don't like that stuff, right? But this one was pretty good. Yeah. I don't I didn't love the movie, but it, you know, the the writing was pretty tight. Uh and the acting was great. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of good actors in the movie and uh, they do, you know, they they all work well together. There's a there's a like she's got a whole crew of crazy different, you know, <laughs> worst storm chasers. 
and they all sort of have their own personality without it really even being you know established there's not there's not a lot of room of like let's develop this character right. let's develop that character but they all have their own unique little flair that kind of defines them even if it's only you know like half a scene right. that each of them get in that little amount of time they do say and do things that kind of give us a little bit of an insight as to who they are and most of them are weird because people that chase storms would be weird they seem fun though they seem like the kind of people i'd want to hang out with yeah yeah in the middle middle of an f5 tornado i mean like it looks cool but i wouldn't actually want to do that but i'm just saying i wouldn't mind like i don't know hanging out with these people they would be fun for game night you know the thing i thought was dumb the thing i thought that was was the dumbest thing in the movie Mm -hmm. and that it didn't need at all was Princess Bride's own Carrie Elways <laughs> and his crew. First of all, we, did, we didn't need them. They didn't play hardly any role in the movie at all. Tension. But really? That much? Like, they weren't, it wasn't that much tension. The, the villains should be the tornadoes. Like, there's enough tension when your script is people driving towards tornadoes. <laughs> Like there's enough tension there to not have like a like a human villain. Eh. You know what I mean? Like it didn't I didn't uh I didn't love their inclusion in the movie. I don't think it added much in the movie. And I like I just felt really bad when they died in yeah. the movie. I was like that seems that seems over the top cuz he was a little arrogant. Yeah. You know, and like he was kind of a jerk, so he deserves to get sucked up by a tornado. It's not not like he was a like a, some arch villain or something. It just I don't know. It seemed really weird. And the line that that I mean, it's the dumbest line I think of any in any movie that I've seen this year okay. at, at least is Bill Paxson explaining to Jamie Kurtz about Carrie Always crew. He's in it for the money, not the science. <laughs> Like what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I like I get Jamie Gertz's character. I know why she's there. Mm-hmm. She's there because she's uh for us. She's for the audience. Mm. She's the one that doesn't know what's going on. That makes sense. So everyone has to explain it to her and thus we learn about it. You know, that's that makes that makes sense. So her character makes sense, the other characters make sense. Carrie always character didn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay. I get it. I mean the I think it added just a a little bit more elements to the story, but it's a check for Carrie Owens, I guess. So that's good because <laughs> I like him. But I didn't like the way they died, though. I thought it was yeah. I think they should have just been defeated. That would have. Like, I, th- I don't think funny. they should have been killed by a tornado. <gasps> that's why they were there, though, because they wanted someone to be killed by a tornado. Well, yeah, that's it was body count. Yeah, yeah. that's all. I agree. They were there just for fodder. <laughs> But it's like we could have you could have just killed some you, you could have just I mean they're in they're in the Midwest you could have just whipped up a couple racists <laughs> a couple people would be like uh oh all these you know like you know n words coming through uh the town and stuff like that we hate them and then they get killed by a tornado. Yeah. That could have worked. They could have killed her aunt <laughs> and her dog. Yeah. But they saved her which was yeah, that's that's her redemption arc, I guess. Helen Hunt's. Yeah. What was Helen Hunt's character's arc in this movie? 
Mm. Like, she started out where and ended up where? How did her character change through the movie? I don't know that her character changed. I think she just moved from point A of having nothing to point B having both succeeded and getting her love interest. Yeah, but that's not that's not very interesting as far as character development goes. Just like stuff happens to character. But I mean like she so she started out she started out where she was sad that her dad was killed by a tornado. Mm. And she wanted to provide extra warning time for people. Right. Because she was in it for the science, not the money. Because <laughs> God hates money. And I don't know, like, did she find peace? That's what I want to know. Did she find peace at the end of the movie? And I don't think the movie really tells us. I think she did. I think that, you know, I mean, she it, it worked. They got the data they wanted, and, and she got her man. What I think is funny, too, is they, they released this Dorothy into the... The tornado, right? Mm-hmm. And then immediately, one of the female scientists there, she's looking at all the data. She's like, we're getting data already. And she's, you know, she's the one that's the expert reading the data, I guess, because she's the one in front of the computers. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like reading the data and stuff. And she's like, it's about to turn left. <laughs> and it does turn left. She's like, they got so much information that she knows how exactly how they're going to move now. It yeah, seems I guess a that's little weird. It seems a little far fetched, but I mean, I guess. Well, maybe she could just see which way the winds were going. But I here's a, maybe, and and maybe they could. I don't know because I don't know anything about tornadoes, and they didn't really explain too much about tornadoes. No. But I think that's probably good that they didn't explain too much about tornadoes because I think that I think that would probably bog the movie down. Yeah, if they went into like they explained the Fujita scale, which are, is the scale by which they measure intensity of tornadoes and they explain the suck zone <laughs> which i don't think is a is a scientific term no. the actor even says it's not a scientific term but it's i guess it's the area in which you're going to get sucked up by the tornado right and, and then that's the, pretty much all they explain right the you know the other spot though not the suck zone but like when you're kind of like oh, in the middle of it yeah like in the heart of a storm yeah, yeah. Which, is that a thing? I don't even know. I don't know if that's a thing with tornadoes or not, or if they just made it up. I don't know. Because I, I know, so. like, you can be in, like, the eye of a hurricane and stuff like that, and, you know, it's very calm in the eye. I mean, a tornado is a hurricane on land, so... No, they're, they're different. They're, it's a different process. Okay. I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure they're a different process. Like, similar, but different. Okay. Probably. I don't know. You know, I you don't see a lot of tornadoes over water. Right. Because they're not called tornadoes when they're over water. You think they're, You think just a tornado forming over the water is, that's what a hurricane is? Oh, not anymore because of the way you're looking at me. <laughs> but that is what I thought, yes. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll go to the library. Okay. And we'll look it up. We'll watch the Weather Channel. And if I'm wrong, and you're right about it, then I'll play the I'm wrong in a loop. Okay. So if you guys heard the I'm wrong in a loop earlier, then that means that I was wrong, and Carol's <laughs> right. It's a tornado over water. And if you hear the, what was the other thing you wanted me to say over and over again? Um, I'm sorry? If you hear the other thing. 
and I don't remember what the other thing was. Yeah, well, if you hear the other thing, then I was right. <laughs> okay. I'm just doing it out of love for Carol. Yay. So, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I didn't love it. I didn't like it as much as you did, but I liked it. Mm-hmm. And I recommend you go see it in the theater. Oh, for sure. It's not going to be the same if you wait for it to come to Blockbuster and you rent it. And you watch it on your TV in your house. Yeah, get your butts it, to the theater. It's not going to be the same experience. To get the full experience, you're going to want to see it in the theater. Like, you're the one who wanted to stay here. And he's like, oh, it's, you know, awful. And, you know, the bed's too small. And she's like, I'm allergic to cats, you know, he says. What? I'm allergic to cats. He's uh, allergic to cats. I don't get it. The night lady had a cat or whatever. Oh, a okay. bunch of cats. And he's allergic to them. And she's like, and she's like well, there's not going to be any cats in here. I thought you were making a pussy joke. And I was so <laughs> confused. <laughs> well, he does sleep on the chair. Yeah, there is no loving going on. But Brenda even says, why don't you just snuggle up in the bed with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, nah, I'm on the chair. Fucker. Um, but he doesn't. So <laughs> when they get back to the car in the morning, mm-hmm. it's stripped. Completely. It looks like gremlins attacked this car. <laughs> it's like this is hilarious. more than stripped. There's there's like three bolts lying on the ground, right? And maybe half a chassis. So I've never seen a car more destroyed in my life. I mean, that's the most unbelievable thing. Yeah. What? Like, did professional mechanics come and steal the stuff? And I mean, they- how is it so expertly taken apart? And they left it in the desert. It would have made more sense for them to strip it like that if they took it somewhere. Sure. But they don't have all those tools that they need to strip a car like that out in the desert. Those are not portable. That's like, let me steal it and take it back to my shop. Yeah, if there was a camera on there, it's just like, there'd be floodlights on the car, and like <laughs> uh, generators in the corner, you know, like pneumatic drills. But, yeah, his parents let him bring him in. They let him shower. He gets shaved. He actually is a nice-looking dude underneath all that, uh, yeah. you know, facial hair. Yeah, they found it, an actor. It's so weird, like, when you see what people look like when they remove thick layers of hair. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, like, it's I had, like shaving a dog. Yeah, it is. Like, like when my dog gets all gross and then you take her to the groomer and then she looks cute again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like that. Yeah. Or like I had a friend uh, Matt Mullen from uh, from high school, mm-hmm. who uh, had these really like dreadlock hair. Like it was it was out of control. Hadn't seen a hairbrush in I don't know how long, right? Mm-hmm. And just randomly one day he's like, "I want to get my hair cut." So I drove him to the place and I watched and like I started to blush while he was getting his hair done because I'm like, "Oh my god, he's cute!" Like I didn't well, even realize funny. the guy was a nice looking dude. Right. Yeah, it can distract. Yeah, the, the, the messy hair. hair yeah. yeah, so it was like, oh my god, he has a face and it's nice and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this guy looks nice. He's wearing Jim's clothes. It's and, a reverse uh, werewolf. That's what they call it. <laughs> that's funny. Um, <laughs> Usually, the laugh indicates that you don't have to add that in at the end. It's almost <laughs> insulting when you do, but thanks get into this big macho fight where basically what's his name i can't remember the the 30 year old drug dealer priscilla P- <laughs> in what universe do you think you were right 
Well, that his name was Priscilla. Not Priscilla. 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 Because is he a Bond girl? Padilla? Is it Padilla? It's Padilla. But is he a <laughs> Bond girl? I don't know. Well, hello. He was in prison. Maybe he is a Bond girl. Well, hello, Priscilla. <laughs> Holy shit. Anyway, somebody's so, Bond girl. Yeah, he was. Yeah, exactly. Priscilla was his uh, was his prison name. That's his nickname, right? Shit. Anyway, he's got a deep wallet. Um, the former former prisoners will get that. Yes, Mister Holland's opus. Very bueno. I at the at the end of this movie, I had this thought, and I wonder if you agree or not. But I said, or I thought to myself, this movie, seriously? (laughs) Shut up. I said to myself, this movie feels both epic in scale and very personal at the same time. Hmm. Like, I think the the movie, it, it feels like a saga. Like a family saga, kind of, you know, and I think the part of the reason is, is all the, and I, I think it's interesting and amazing how they kind of, they ride the line between those two different types of stories. And I think it's because the world is on the edges of this story. So we see Vietnam, we see some newsreel footages of Vietnam, we see newsreel footage of Watergate and, and and all these the moon landing all these things those these momentous things that are happening from 1965 to 1995, and we see the the ramifications in their own lives of some of it, whether it's the the, the kid dying in, in the Vietnam War or whether it's John Lennon's death in 1980, and we see the way it affects this family. But the core of the movie is about this guy and this guy's life and the tapestry of this guy's life, what he made from mm-hmm. from, from it and, and how he affected the world around him. Yeah. So, I, and the, the scene at the end, I, I, you know, we're obviously, if you haven't seen the movie, go and see it. But the scene at the end where everyone's in the auditorium, I think that perfectly encapsulates what I'm talking about. It's one guy and one guy's life, but this is the ripple effect of everything. Right. So it feels large in scope, but the story's very personal at the same time. It's very, you know, limited to to his point of view. And I think it's really interesting how everyone's life is like that. Everyone sees life from their own point of view and to, to everybody, everybody's life is personal because this is all right. you get to see. But the totality of it is larger and, and more, you know, a bigger than, than any of us can even realize a lot of times. Definitely. That's really cool. So I think the, the movie balances those two things and really kind of blends them together beautifully. It kind of reminded me of Forrest Gump. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I guess 
mainly, you know, because it's a story showing somebody, you know, going through mm -hmm. their life and growing, but also like because you get to see the backdrop of the United States yeah. changing, and I, I, I think that it's a less, a less fantastical, less comedic, yeah, Forrest Gump for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, like Forrest Gump is out there a little bit, and this one's definitely more, mm -hmm. you know, believable. It's more grounded in reality. Yeah. It's very difficult. It's, it stretches the imagination a lot to think that this one person did all this yeah. amazing stuff and met, you know, the like was there when colleges were desegregated. Was was there to meet Elvis? Was there to inspire people to come up with all these ideas? It it gets. I like Forrest Gump a lot. It's a fun movie, but it gets fairly farcical at times. Yeah. This one's much more grounded. In reality, and much more believable. And the um, redhead from Sybil, the daughter. Oh, is she in Sybil? Yeah. Okay. She plays. Yeah, she plays Sybil's daughter. Okay. And uh, she's in this movie. Mm -hmm. She's like the first student that he really cares about. So it's yeah. kind of cool to see her in a different role. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised you didn't remember her. I don't watch Sybil a lot. Yeah. You watch Sybil a lot more than I do. I know we covered it on the show, but I don't watch it a ton. But basically, it's about a music teacher who got into it as a backup gig because right. he wanted to make some money. He was going to only do it for four years so that he could go back to composing music mm -hmm. and performing. And um, it, of course, ends up being a lifetime gig. 30 years, yeah. Yeah. He, um, and because his wife gets pregnant... So that kind of traps him in there needing to be able to provide for a family. It's funny, too. It's, you know, the story of his life. So he doesn't change as much as America changes. Yeah. They don't. And, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's an opportunity wasted. I don't know. But he's because in, in the 60s, he's teaching rock and roll. Mm -hmm. He's clearly more on the cutting edge. But, I mean, that makes sense for his character, a, right. a traveling musician and everything. He's definitely more on the cutting edge than most people. But it is funny to see. We see 1995, we see him, you know, coming into school and everything. And we see, you know, two guys holding hands and kissing and stuff like that. And all the people with the fashion of today, you know, baggier shorts and, and the the you know wrist um spikes you mm -hmm. know and, and everything that people wear the leather leather uh bands with the spikes on them and stuff like that and the mohawks and just all the different kind of fashion that, that we see today and we start in 1965 with everyone wearing skirts and ties mm -hmm. and and to see in 30 years because we're in one place we're just right. in, this, in this high school to see through 30 years how things change so much it really it really opens your eyes to how how much we have changed as a country whether it's through fashion or pop culture things like that that we've changed yeah but he doesn't change all that much he changes in one well he changes in a couple pretty fundamental ways on a personal level but it doesn't really reflect the changes in in America right yeah, I mean, it's definitely different things going on. That mm -hmm. he, he's not changing in correlation with society. He's changing in yeah. relation to his life. And that's what I mean. Like, if we, 
if we dovetailed those two things where mm-hmm. he changes as society changes, would that be better? Would it not be? Better? I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see. I don't know if that would come off as too formulaic or too cliche, or I don't know if it's an opportunity wasted or, or not. Because his life, his life isn't. It's also not lived in contrast to the times. Mm-hmm. He definitely, his fashion certainly changes at least a little bit. A little bit, yeah. You know, like he. But, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether that's good or bad. I'm not sure. I'm undecided on it. I guess I'd have to see a totally other cut of the movie with them doing that to see what I think. But like you said, it's it's 30 years in one place so you can really see. And, and the contrast mm-hmm. is kind of startling going from oh, sure. 60s to, to 95. But, you know, imagine if we started out in 25 or 35 going to 65. Right. It wouldn't be as different. I mean, there's been a That's lot true. more change from 65 to 95 than there has in any time I can think of. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, 35, so 35 to 65, we'd have bikinis. Yeah. Bikinis didn't exist in 35. I guess people would be dressing a little more risque than they did in 35, but yeah, things wouldn't have changed that much. I think, so I think television, movies, music, I think music, big time, yeah. changed society through the 60s. Because if you think about the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and then going into the punk era of the mid-70s to the, mm-hmm. to the, to the early 80s and, and all that stuff, I think popular music really, and that's you know, one of the, the big themes of this, of this movie, I think popular music really drove a lot of change yeah. during that time. It was a big engine of change, and and you know, popular music from the '30s to to right before the right before rock and roll, it wasn't that big of a change. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I agree. I think that I think that this is much more drastic of a change. And then just basic human rights. There's yeah. a lot of basic human rights changes for sure. The civil civil rights movement. The '60s was a hugely transformative time, both in music and, and with the civil rights movement and the war and everything. So what's your favorite scene in this movie? Wow. That's a tough question. My favorite scene in this movie. Um, maybe when he's singing to his son. Yeah. That might be my favorite scene. That's one of my favorites for sure. It's really, really moving. Cause this musician and for anybody who doesn't know the story, um, who like music is his life. Mm-hmm. He plays music to his wife's stomach. He names um, his son, Coltrane, S- Sebastian, I think Coltrane, Sebastian. No, it's something know. else. Wolfgang, I don't know, but Maybe, some other yeah. com- some uh, other composer. composer. Yeah. Um, but Coltrane was his, you know, favorite. That's like mm-hmm. who made him fall in love with music. Right. So yeah, and then the kid ends up being deaf. Profoundly deaf. Yeah. So Basically, he, can't hear not, anything. Ninety percent deaf. Mm-hmm. So you know they're struggling with this because it it is the sixties and they don't know what to do and their doctor says oh don't let him talk with his hands i see he's trying to communicate with his hands shut that shit down right right now because <laughs> if he talks with his hands he'll never learn to talk with his voice and then everyone will call him a freak like i think he is it was it was yeah 
Um, really bad. One of the ways things have changed. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of struggle to figure out how to deal with, you know, Cole and how to get him help. And, mm-hmm. and dad kind of pieces out on it. He absolutely, he abandons his family without abandoning yeah. his family. Yeah. He, he's, he's not there. Like the wife is dealing all the time with trying to communicate with her son and he's just gone. Like, he never learned sign language mm-hmm. till he was a teenager. Pretty much, yeah. Till after he calls him an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is funny. So, the, he, the son has this big argument with him. John Lennon dies. And he's like, oh, you wouldn't understand, the, the dad says. And he's got, he gets this big argument with him, and he's like, and the wife's, the wife is, is interpreting because mm-hmm. he's signing. And he's like, oh, you didn't think I'd know who John Lennon is? What do you think? I'm a fucking idiot. Right. You don't think I know what popular music is? You don't think I know about the stuff that you love just because I can't hear it, you fucking dick? And I'm paraphrasing. But, <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but she, uh, so she tells him all this stuff. He calls him an asshole and then storms off. And instead of doing nothing about it like most people would or instead or getting of getting mad instead of getting mad or instead of making some half-hearted effort it just changes his like he's like yeah okay i'm being an asshole well one of the things that he said that i think was you know what triggered him was you could try to help me understand it mm-hmm. but you don't yeah you so, care more about your other students yeah than you care about your own son it, there is like three or four different inflection points in this movie where someone yells at him or someone gets angry at him and that changes his life mm-hmm. like uh, olympia dukakis uh, at the beginning of the movie the principal she's like hey you're uh you know you're pretty good at teaching them the basics but the other thing you're supposed to do is kind of give them a direction give them a compass she says mm-hmm. she's like you are shitty at that <laughs> yeah because you run for the door every day faster than any of the students so why don't you be better and then she just i I mean she's not mean about it like i just was but she you know she says the compass stuff and he takes it to heart and starts working with Mm -hmm. students more and falls more in love with the job and then there's i'm trying to think there's a couple other points where somebody talks to him roughly and he changes his mind yeah he's very open to criticism it's weird yeah, I think that might be a point where it's not a real story, where where you can see that it's not a real story. Because I don't think, I don't think most people are that willing to change and that open to criticism. I mean, I think maybe he just is one of those kinds of people, though. Yeah, I guess I've it, never met one of those people. Well, he's he's an artist, so he's you know more empathetic, creative thinking, and things like that. But he's also a good teacher, so he has a good mining. And as you can see in class, he has a good a good grasp of academics. He's smart enough to kind of logically think things out. So maybe when someone confronts him with something that he can't dispute, he thinks about it and realizes the error of his ways and, you know, changes. But I, I agree. I don't think there's a lot of people out there like that, but maybe he is one of those few people. Yeah. I can believe it. But, um, yeah, and, like, the very end of the thing... Mm-hmm. 1995 him and his son have a great relationship now Mm -hmm. his son's a teacher yep and um 
they're shutting down the entire music program. A, a thing that they do more and more nowadays. I know, it's terrible. They were actually talking about that at uh, the school I went to my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, not... not where I'm at now, but yeah, it was it was touch and go. Mm-hmm. And are, are you in Are you in high school right now? No. <laughs> or are we not? I don't I know. Don't know. <laughs> you decide, right? Just choose your own adventure. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I think that's terrible. Like, like he said when he was arguing with them, um, you know, you can teach them to read and write, but eventually they're not going to have anything to read and write about. Yep, exactly. So. And he's right. That's. We need artistic expression. Life is meaningless without it. Yes. I, I understand that that physics and chemistry and mathematics and history, I'm a huge fan of history. I, I understand that all those things, engineering and, and stuff like that, I, I understand that all those things are vitally important for society, but just as important is music and art and books mm-hmm. and television and movies because... Those are the things that make life worth living. And, you know, that on the larger scale is, you know, the point of this. But on his own personal level, he's 60 years old. Mm-hmm. That's not quite retirement age. Right. And he's being kicked out of his job. Yeah. Like, does, is he even going to get a pension? Because I don't think it counts as retirement. Like, well, He's been there 30 years. He, I, I hope they take care of him. Yeah, I would assume they would. So it's really bad. And he feels like... He doesn't matter. He's expendable. Like, well, one of his own former students is on the school board. Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, fuck you, Mister Holland." Basically. So yeah, he gets really down, and then they set up this amazing thing mm-hmm. where they have everybody, like the whole auditorium, is just filled with people who want to, you know, say goodbye to him and let him know that they appreciate him. Yep. And even like that first student, the redheaded student. She's the governor now. <laughs> I think I, that's so cute. Which I don't understand why she can't do anything about this budget, but right. Um, but yeah, that she, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But whatever. Like all the students that you know stuck uh, stuck out during the movie are there as adults and you know playing. Except for and, Terrence Howard, who died. Yeah, in Vietnam. That was sad. So they play his opus. They play his the, what he's been working on writing for his whole life. So he finally he gets to reach that goal that thing that he's always wanted is to have this performed so but really his opus is all those people in the auditorium right that's really his his accomplishment but now do you think they played the uh the passage uh that he wrote about the teenager he wanted to fuck (laughs) i think that was separate probably yeah because it was called rowena's theme Mm -hmm. so i think that was a separate piece of music yeah, the, the teenager from Uncle Buck is in this movie, and apparently she can sing. Who knew? I, I had no idea. I, <laughs> yes, assume she she, I assume she does Broadway or something like that, because I haven't seen her in a whole lot of movies. So if you can sing, and you're a good actress, and she's a pretty good actress, yeah. then you're probably doing Broadway. If probably. You're, if you're at this level, anyway. That's what her character's going to end up doing, probably. Yeah, probably. You're right. <laughs> but she she has a flirtation, and it's... It's a believable one, too. Again, it's not over the top or anything. She appreciates him as some sort of father figure and mentor. Oh, don't say father figure. Well, don't you think? Uh, I mean... It's gross. Obviously, any any young woman that 
lusts after somebody that much older than her is pro- probably has some issues with her dad. I'm right? sure she has issues with her dad, but I mean, like when you say he's a father figure and she wants to have sex with him, that's all edible and nasty. Yeah. Anyway, it's the opposite of edible. Edible's the son and the mom. Oh, okay, it's, fine. Uh, Electra. Yes, that's there. You go. Hey, very good. <laughs> Check out the big brain on Carol. Oh, shush. Anyway, so she, you know, she wants him, and it's like a very subtle flirtation. Mm-hmm. And then she come basically comes out and says, "Hey, I'm leaving. Come with me. I want you to go with me." And you they've can... never done anything. I mean, that's pretty presumptuous to think mm-hmm. he's going to leave his whole life to go with you and you've never even kissed. You can write your music and everything, but he decides not to. He decides not to fuck this teenager and, <laughs> and stay with his wife. Yeah. And his wife figures it out. Do you think they ever talked about it? Nope. You don't think she ever said, hey, nope. remember that Rowena thing? Yeah, nope. I knew. She, she was just glad that uh, it was over, whatever it was. Do you think that she suspected that he did something yeah. inappropriate with her? Yes. But he didn't. No. I mean, he had inappropriate thoughts. Yeah. And, I mean, he was in, he he spent an inappropriate amount of time and energy on this one student. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, either way, he was being a little inappropriate. But, yeah, I mean, his wife might think they fucked. I don't know. But I don't think she ever confronted him. Mm-hmm. Different time. Yeah. If it happened now be a big fight well think about it she's a housewife mm-hmm. you know and he's taking care yeah. of her and that's true what's she gonna do right he's gone all day too so he who knows what shenanigans he could be getting up to yeah anyway so i i thought they were gonna have another kid but they never had another kid just the one maybe they were afraid that they'd have another deaf kid <laughs> <laughs> we keep getting deaf ones <laughs> Like it's a bad prize in a Cracker Jack box or something like that. It's the whistle again. Actually, though, I think that would be really hard to deal with, don't you? Like having a deaf kid and then having a hearing child and like having like all the differences that would, you know, like there'd probably be like a rivalry and eh. A rivalry? (laughs) (laughs) It's the classic rivalry, hearing versus deaf. What kind of rivalry would they have? For their parents' affection because of the dad. Because hey, remember the, of the way the dad is. Remember the sound of dad's voice? Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, goodness. Maybe the next one would be blind. And then the third one couldn't speak. <laughs> it could be a united, uh, it could be like the, the Benet- United Scholars of Benetton, but it's uh, the United Disabilities of Mr. Hollis. Oh, my God. Want to be born with spina bifida? They just her her womb is just uh, a it's like a slot machine of disabilities. It's awful. What's it gonna go? What's it gonna come up? Why did you think they were gonna have another child? I thought I would assume that they want to have another kid. They didn't want to have that one because their first one was a dud. <laughs> You're an asshole. <laughs> But think about wow. they, they really think didn't. about all the, the think about all the all the names you've called to me this episode. Have I? You called me an asshole. You said I was. What did you say that I was? I don't know. Gross or something. Oh, like did I say you? Oh yeah, I said you were a gross person. Yes. <laughs> you know I love you. 
<laughs> oh my gosh! You don't think they want kids at all? No, I, I mean, think he didn't want. I think I think he didn't, he didn't want the kid. Yeah, for sure, because he reacted very badly. Yes, but I think it was just the timing. Like he wanted to get finished with this, save enough money so he could write his fucking music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe they did eventually plan on it. Who knows? I, I gotta say. Either he didn't have that great of a work ethic, or honestly, his music writing wasn't that good then. Right. Because, it took him 30 years. Yeah, it took him 30 years to write one piece. And, I mean, it was, it ain't John Williams. That's what I'm going <laughs> to say. I mean, if he, if he really, and he didn't want to be a studio musician. I don't want to be a studio musician. Because they're sellouts. So. Lots of studio musicians worked really well. Right. You know, there's studio mus- musicians that were used by the Beatles, by the Rolling Stones. They're on fucking albums. Right. Pl- playing, playing instruments and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Shit. Yeah, he was a little full of himself in the beginning, but he yeah, learned. He yeah, after 30 years, and he became an old man. <laughs> he and Jay Thomas with their lifelong friendship. Yeah, I liked that character, too. That guy apparently stayed a bachelor forever. Yeah. We but, didn't get to see much about him. But he felt like, you know, the high school kids were his kids. And, you know, he devoted, they both devoted the same amount of time to the high school, which mm-hmm. was not good because, like you said, the one's a Once, bachelor, yeah. the other one has a family. Right. Yeah. The other one's trying to stave off crippling loneliness and depression. Yeah. By being at school all the time. Oh, maybe they both were, though. Hmm. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that's why he wanted to have sex with a teenager. <sighs> yeah. But he didn't, so... Gold He's star for Mr. Holland. Right. When's Donald Duck's birthday? <laughs> oh my goodness. Does it sound like Donald Duck? Um, sure. No, not really. A little? What about Huey, Dewey, and Louie? Or Scrooge McDuck, remember? DuckTales, woo! Yeah. Wasn't that long ago, really. Yeah, like three or four years ago or something like that, but... Yeah, I liked that show. Sometimes stuff like that seems longer ago than it was, you know? For sure. Scrooge McDuck. Hi, Lottie. I'm going to jump in my... Uh, let's see, he had the, the accent. I don't remember an accent. He was Scottish. Okay. He was Scottish. My and lucky dime. <laughs> Donald Duck had a speech impediment? What? Donald Duck sounded like a duck. Talked like a duck. Why didn't Scrooge McDuck talk like a duck? He had surgery. To, he swapped his voice out with, uh, I don't know, a, a young Scotsman. He had a young Scotsman killed, and then he took his vocal cords. Oh, my God. So that, That's what you can do when you have a, a bin full of money. Nat's preparing turkeys. Yeah, so he's open on Thanksgiving. Yeah, crazy. That guy's got... That, I'm telling you, they should have let him have that buyout. Right? <laughs> Retired. He never gets dude's to have gotta, any fun. Dude's got to work on Thanksgiving. He has no family to spend Thanksgiving with. No. It's a sad situation for Nat. I'm surprised he's not on heroin. Oh. I'm just picturing Nat. <laughs> just Nat bald, bald up in a corner. <laughs> Rocking back and forth. No. <laughs> Brandon's uh, Brandon's going through the uh, silverware at the Peach Pit. He's like, uh, why, Matt, why are all the spoons bent? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Nat is making Thanksgiving dinner for all of the many customers that will grace the Peach Pit on Thanksgiving Day. All the sad dads that are divorced. <laughs> picking up takeout, yeah. Yeah, and all the, the, lonely, the lonely people in the world. 
But all you, the lonely people. But you know what? I can't. I can't judge. I spent. Uh, I spent a Christmas at uh, a Denny's. Nice. Yeah. What a fun thing. With all the old dudes. Just like in the Santa Claus, where they go <laughs> to Denny's on on Christmas. Right. Christmas Eve, actually. Before he kills Santa Claus or whatever happens in that movie. I also worked at Denny's on a Thanksgiving. And oh, that was depressing. Yeah, that has to be sad, too. I've never spent a holiday in a restaurant. Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's full of only men. The women who are single and lonely are too ashamed they, to go they out. They are shame. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just tons of single old dudes in the restaurant, like, eating pie and talking to each other. The the women that are that are lonely on Thanksgiving are huddled up in a corner with a uh, a can of cranberry sauce and they're just you know like right. just eating it right out of the can or Almost like it's ice cream but it's cranberry sauce or a giant thing of cool whip and a whole pie there you go yeah that sounds like my fantasy <laughs> <laughs> i mean you could be there too but whipped cream invo- is involved in my <laughs> fantasy but not a well not not like a pumpkin pie cherry pie I hate snow. Do you? Yeah. I want to move to, I told you I want to move to Orange County. That's Orange County. where I want to go. To follow the money. <laughs> and the warmth and the palm the trees. Money and the sun. I don't like living in Michigan. No? Mm-mm. I do. I do like living in Why? Michigan. Why? I don't know. I mean, okay, I like fall leaves. <laughs> That's about it. That's it. That's it. It's the only thing you like about Michigan. Yes. You should work for the tourism board. <laughs> Come to Michigan. <laughs> Fall leaves. Right. <laughs> Everything else sucks. What about you don't like you don't like the water that much. I, I like into water sports. I like pools, but I don't like lakes. Cement ponds, as they call them in Beverly Hills. <laughs> sure. But I mean come on, like a lake, it's like full of life. fish poop. Yeah, it's full of life. I know. It's, you, you can you can uh pee in it too. I don't want to. It's the fish. <laughs> it's so gross. It's called the aqua bog. Ugh. <laughs> and like you get in and like all you feel is seaweed on your feet and it's just gross. In a lake? Yeah. Mm, that seems more of an ocean thing. Is there really seaweed in the lake? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, You're looking it, at me all confused. It grows up from the bottom and it's green and it's plant life and it tickles your feet. You've not experienced this? You eat it sometimes. Yeah, on sushi. Right, exactly. But this isn't sushi. This is a lake and it's gross. <laughs> it's another one for the tourism board. <laughs> this isn't somebody, somebody standing next to Lake Michigan. This isn't sushi. Don't be confused now. <laughs> I know there's raw fish and seaweed. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> oh, there's some, there's something there. There's something there. Like uh, instead of calling them lakes, calling them like sushi production studios. Or right. I don't know. Ew. The Prime Meridian. What's the opposite of the prime meridian? Do you know? Um, all, all the way opposite mm, of the world from the no, prime I meridian. don't. The international dateline. Ah, uh, you know what popped into my head, and I knew it was wrong. Prime Floridian. The prime. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the Golden Girls are the prime Floridians. Right. right? 
The, a prime Floridian is uh, anyone that's got that's wearing alligator skin boots, has a mullet, and uh, fewer teeth than hairs on his face. Wow. Even if it's a girl. Probably because pound cake uh, is actually not sick at all. Right. Yeah, that's the uh, dog's name that played Rocky. Pound cake. I think that's so cute. I want to get a dog and name it pound cake. But you have to get it from the pound. Right. And I can't get a dog from the pound. It has to be a pound puppy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Pound puppies. I had pound puppies and I loved them. So did I. I used to play with my pound puppies. They come with a little house, Mm -hmm. a little cardboard house. I used to have a brown one with black ears and then a white and black one with black ears. Uh, and they, I had, I developed entire stories for them, storylines. Wow. They had hierarchies and stuff like that. One, the black and white one was always trying, like the brown one was, was the leader and the black and white one was always like jealous and trying to take over the leadership, but then he'd end up getting defeated. <laughs> these are the kind of these are the kind of stories that boys play. With. Wow. <laughs> there was there was very complicated po- political hierarchy in my pound. That is messed up shit. I had I had one of the big ones. Uh you know, one of those big dogs mm. and then a lot of the little ones. I probably had maybe 10 or 12 of them. I loved pound puppies. Wow. You know, playing with little boys was weird. Like, mm-hmm. boys just play weird. Well, we play different. I I mean, it's a little reductive to be like, oh, boys just play weird. But we play different than girls, yes. Well, like, I played Barbies with my next-door neighbor, Jesse, and oh, I'll never forget. Jesse's Barbie. Yeah. I'll never forget what happened because... <laughs> Because it was the subject of a seven-week-long trial? He was Ken. Uh-huh. And I was Barbie. And we were in my Barbie dream house. And he, It turned into a nightmare? <laughs> he was like, get me a beer, bitch. <laughs> what the fuck? And he, like, hit her. And it was, like, awful. His oh Barbie was God. so mean to my Barbie. And I didn't oh, want to play Barbies wow. with him anymore. I have a feeling that spoke to what was going on in his home. <laughs> yeah, that's which is frightening. Up, yeah. Oh my god, they're uh, um. <laughs> my friend Bob and I, we just—I don't know—like we came up with this routine together for some reason, just off the cuff in the middle of class. There, there was a commercial a few years ago uh, where it was. Um, this little boy, it's like a little like five year old boy and five year old girl, and he's like, uh, will you marry me or whatever to the little girl? And she goes, Where's my ring? Aww. And he gives her a lifesaver. And she goes, A lifesaver and he goes, Don't worry, we'll live with my mother. <laughs> and then that's the end of the commercial, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bob and I somehow talking back and forth with each other came up with a scenario of like one year later or whatever <laughs> you see the mom in the background with just needle tracks <gasps> no! up and down her arm and <laughs> the little voice like i i said i wanted a sandwich bitch and oh my god backhands her across the face and then, and then the cops come She's got the lifesaver still on her finger. 
Wow. And cops are cops are like, beat you up pretty good this time, huh? And this made me laugh like nothing else, the way Bob said this. Bob, Bob just goes, I fell. <laughs> the way he said it. It's like, I don't think Bob ever considered going into acting. But the way he said it sold it so much of like, oh, oh just broken spirit who knows that she's lying and knows that everyone knows she's lying but is committed to it and it was just like i don't know the whole thing was hilarious like i don't know how we we had like a five minute conversation about this commercial like where would they be just like joking about how ridiculous it was and everything right like where would they be in a year or something like that and i i think i said what if his mom was like uh heroin addict or something like that and then it, everything snowballed from there and we just like play acted that wow how old used, were you and then we used to perform it for people you were teenagers right yeah for, like 17 okay like that. okay 17, good years old. <laughs> yeah we were like eight so no yeah i know <laughs> it's a little I different mean, ours was was clearly like a joke based right. on um you know, based on like I don't know stereotypes and, and stuff like that, but yeah, that's that's much more messed up what you're talking about. <laughs> that uh, Jewish Barbie has to apologize <laughs> to Andrea. Jewish Barbie, the, yeah. the, <laughs> the only the only Barbie that talks. What? Oh, you're gonna put me in that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm sure that looks fine to you. <laughs> Sally Field, like me right now, says she wants to be alone. What? The two-time Academy Award winner says she now realizes that people need their solitude and separateness. The 49-year-old star of the recently released Eye for an Eye reflects after two failed marriages, one to high school sweetheart Steve Gregg. Sure. The other to producer Alan Griezmann. That couples should have separate bedrooms. There's something unnatural about sleeping in the same bed, dressing in the same closet, sharing everything, Field says in the January 29th issue of People magazine. What the fuck? Field says she has stopped feeling guilty about her lifelong pension for solitary activities such as needlepoint, reading and writing in her journal. Okay. Well, um, that's why you have two failed marriages, because you don't want to be with your husband. Yeah, don't. That's kind of weird, right? Yeah, I mean, there's something unnatural about sleeping next to. I disagree. I, I like writing in my journal and reading too, and I do like not plastic. Um, not I do plastic canvas, not needlepoint. Needle point, yeah, right? but that doesn't mean that I don't also What's like plastic canvas. Explain to the folks out there what plastic <laughs> canvas is. It's kind of like cross stitch, but it's plastic. What's cross stitch? It's making a picture. Okay. With plastic squares that mm-hmm. you put yarn through, mm-hmm. you know, colored yarn. Sure. And it's kind of like coloring. I believe it's called, I believe it's just called African-American yarn now. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's pretty politically incorrect. You are so colored yarn. gross, okay? Colored yarn only. How is it gross? Because it's just, you're a gross person. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Maybe you and Sally Field have more in common than you think. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> the fuck? A gross person. Why would what a you statement. take? Why would you take something beautiful, like plastic, and try to make it into a funny joke? And for and people make listening? it. I don't know. Gross. I don't know why I would try to do this. <sighs> Anyways, 
Mm-hmm. It like I was trying to say, it's like coloring with yarn. Okay. Okay. That's a good way to explain it. Coloring with yarn. Third rock from the sun, which uh, refers to Earth, in case you guys didn't know, because it's the uh, the third rock-like planet from the yellow dwarf star. You know that um, that we call the sun. That makes it sound like there are not rock-like planets between us and the sun. Like, like there's a vaporous planet or a water planet, but you know, we're we're all you know planets. <laughs> That's like a motivation. You're like a motivational speaker for the solar system. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're vapor-like. It doesn't matter if you're gaseous. It doesn't matter if you're rock. We're all planets. <laughs> Deep down. Brandon. 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 He's a gambling fool. Yeah. And apparently Nat's booking all his bets. Which yeah. I didn't realize. Because he's not 18. Is he? Did no, they turn eighteen true. yet? Sure, he's not eighteen, and the legal gambling age in California for betting on sports uh-huh. is uh, zero because it's not legal to bet on oh. sports in California. <laughs> so his age probably doesn't matter as much as the fact that sports betting is not legal in the right. state of California. But yeah, he asked Nat to put a bet on a game. Mm-hmm. Brenda wants to talk to him about what's going on because she doesn't even know about Kelly and Dylan yet. She's just upset she can't go to the damn party. Yeah, we're going back in time. Though. Yeah. And he totally blows her off because he's watching the game that he's got the money on. Yeah, he's betting on the Cleveland Cavaliers because he's an idiot. <laughs> but he somehow wins. But yeah, he wins and Nat forgot to place the bet. It was a, I think I don't think Nat forgot to place the bet. When he asked, he said, "Hey, put I want to put $100 or a buck as he calls it on the Cleveland Cavaliers." And Nat's like, "Well, that's that's a pretty steep bet. That's a lot of money." And he's like, yeah, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a sure thing or whatever. And Nat says there's no such thing as a sure thing. Right. So then later when he says, hey, did the, that bookie come around because I want to collect my money? Nat's like, oh, I forgot to place the bet. We got so busy. Now, maybe he really did get busy, but I'm thinking that he was so sure that Brandon was going to lose this bet. Right. And it was for so much money that he just didn't book it because he didn't want him to lose the money. Which maybe that's what he means when he says he was keeping an eye on him later. Because mm-hmm. then, yeah, he, Brandon's upset with him. Who was with him, Steve? Steve. Who's like, oh, he never forgot to place the bets when you uh, when, when you, you lost. lost. Yeah, he indicates that he indicates that maybe Nat's working with the bookie, or that Nat's just pocketing his money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess that's true. That's probably what he's saying. Which is just right. a terrible thing to say, and Nat wouldn't do that. Yeah, Nat could have uh, left the game completely. And then he walks in and tries to give him the money from from his own pocket Mm -hmm. because he feels bad. And Brandon says, no, I want you to pay me back, but not in money. (laughs) (laughs) I know my mind went somewhere, too. And Nat starts blushing (laughs) and saying, I've I've always dreamed of this day, Brandon. (laughs) And he says, I want that guy's phone number. He's like, oh. (laughs) So he he says, oh, I don't know. You know, it seems wrong to give you this grown man's phone number. Well, he says, like, right now, you know, I can keep an eye on you. Mm-hmm. I don't know about just letting you do this without me. Right. So, But he does give him the number. And, yeah, now Brandon's uh, now all who? set. <laughs> Who are we talking about? Brandon. Brandon. <laughs> Fuck off. 
Do you have a stroke in the middle of that sentence? Maybe. Wow. So, yeah. You're so mean to me. I know. But it's fun. So, so yeah, Brandon is working without a, a wire now. Without a gnat. Instead uh, of a gnat. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, he's he says that, yeah, watch that. The microphone's right there. Ow. He says that he wins. At the end of the, the episode, he's like, oh, yeah, I won again. It was a big night or whatever. Do you, And he says to Steve, do you still think that betting on basketball is a sucker's bet? And Steve goes, yeah, I do. Because <laughs> you're going to lose eventually, Brandon, yeah. And then Andrea, walk, or Andrea walks in with her red hair. And everyone's like, what? What's changed? What's right. different? It's not different. It's like in the movie Beaches um, when Bette Midler dyes Barbara Hershey's hair mm-hmm. for the first time. What she dyed. And and this is back in like the 70s or whatever, so... Holy shit! How old do you think Beaches is? <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it's takes place back oh, in time. okay. I was gonna say, Beaches came out like 10 years ago. No, it's supposed to be in like the 70s, I think, when or the early 80s when they're doing their hair. Maybe, I don't know. And um, It's been a long time. Because they're like young, yeah. Beaches. Anyways, um, she's like, we spent the entire night dyeing your hair the exact same color. And she's like, it's a subtle difference. And she's like, I don't think so. That's what happened to Andrea. Wow. <laughs> that was so worth it to, to relive the classic memories of that scene. Shut up. Just to say the same thing that we already said. <laughs> You're so mean to me. No, okay. So, Kelly. Plus we didn't see this. We saw this two days ago. Shh. That's another problem. That's the problem. I swear to God, one of these days we will record right after we watch it. We should. That's what we should do. Instead of like watching like freaking you know MTV, we should uh, be watching recording our. Tapes. We should be watching. You want us to have an out of body experience <laughs> where both of us leave our bodies, yes, float above it, and watch ourselves record the show. Okay. We'll go to the the new age store and pick yeah. up some stuff. Oh, um, yeah. anyway, experienced young single white male, nineteen. <laughs> what? Experienced nineteen year old. So you had sex twice, not just once. <laughs> he's seen a Playboy, so he's experienced. <laughs> Slender, attractive, talented. Oh, okay. <laughs> you had sex with a girl who pretended to like it. <laughs> Seeks experienced single white female, 19 to 25. Slender, attractive. Let's do paradise together. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the 11-year-old that wrote the <laughs> the reviews of the roller coasters was more eloquent <laughs> right? than this guy. And I think more experienced. <laughs> he certainly screamed more while going up and down. Oh, goodness gracious. Experienced young single white male, 19. <sighs> so Carol's right. 19. Basically, all he's saying is, I had sex once. <laughs> I, I did it once. <laughs> I'm experienced now. That's crazy. And he wants a 19 to 25 year old so they can do paradise together. What the fuck do you think that means? I imagine that this dude has a bunch of black lights in his room. <laughs> and like 
one of those like light machines that like you know dances he, to the music. He's got he's got those inflatable palm trees, right? That you blow up, and he'll light some incense, and um, maybe get you stoned, mm-hmm. and be like, "Now this is paradise." And it's in his mom's basement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because she saw a picture of Dylan, like an autographed picture. Mm-hmm. That was so weird. Like, who does that? That was that was Shannon Doherty autographing it to, to him when she got kicked off the show. Right? It's like, here, Dylan. But yeah, so Dylan had given a picture of himself to Brenda, mm-hmm. and she saw that his last name was McKay. So then she brought up, oh, are, do you guys know Jack McKay? Uh-huh. You know, they kind of freeze, and then they're like, well, you know, he's no good, and blah, blah, blah. And, and his son. Yeah. Wait a minute. Dylan McKay is related to Jack McKay? And then they're, they're like, stay away from him. Like, Jim Jim gets all angry. He's like, you know, just, just you know, he's no good. You could hear her moisten <laughs> through the TV when he said that. The funniest part of this episode. Okay. The list of five celebrities that they could cheat with. So Ross is such a dork that he not only types it out, but laminates his list. Yep. He wants to put Isabella Rossellini on his list. Mm-hmm. But then Joey's like, oh no, she's, uh, oh, she's no. international. <laughs> he channels her countryman and goes, oh no. <laughs> oh no, Ross. Not Isabella. <laughs> she's a she, she's a greatest export. You cannot. You cannot soil her, Ross. Oh my goodness. He says that he should pick somebody local. Yeah, someone who's in the country more. And Rachel's like, yeah, because that's why you're not going to get with Isabella Rossellini. Right. Geography. So he bumps her for Winona Ryder. She shows up in the coffee house. Isabella Rossellini. She's there. And he's very awkward and says almost immediately how she's on his list of celebrities he's allowed to have sex with. Because she says, aren't you with that girl over there? Yeah. yeah, He's like, we're on my list. And she's like, what list? And he talks, says, he's like, so I get to have sex with you. (laughs) She's like, oh yeah? She looks startled. Like, like just visibly startled. Like, who wouldn't be? And (laughs) she's like, can I see the list? And he's like, oh no. (laughs) Right. Yeah, he goes, oh no. (laughs) She's a Oh no. He becomes depressed. He's like Mario, but he's depressed. <laughs> oh no. I'm just gonna lay down here. Oh jeez. On this mushroom. You wanna hear uh, a letter to Ann Landers? Sure. Letter from Overmaneuvered in Air or Outmaneuvered, sorry, Outmaneuvered in Arizona. Hit close to home. He was the man whose wife began an affair over the computer. Six months ago, my wife, Betsy, quotes, not real name, obviously. So I love that he picks a, he's got to pick a fake name and he picks Betsy. (laughs) Told me I had been uh, neglecting her because of my long hours on the night shift. Thinking it would occupy her time, I showed Betsy how to use the online chat service. Oh, no, that was not smart. Before long, she was spending hours every night on the computer chatting with men. Betsy told me not to be threatened. She even showed me some pornographic images Oh, geez. sent to her by one of her new friends. I asked why she would continue to talk to people who would send such kinky pictures. 
She insisted they were nice guys, and it was all fun. Two months ago, I found a computer message Betsy had saved. She had told someone named Brian that she was falling in love with him. Oh, no. And was eager to meet him in a neutral city to find out if they were soulmates in a neutral city. Wow. It's like a football game. We've got to meet in a neutral city, Brian. That there's no, no home front right, advantage. It'll be. It won't be fair, you know, any other way. When I confronted her, she said it was a joke. Oh my! Then I found a message saying she was sending Brian a video of her stripping. This shook me up and made me realize the fun and games had gone too far. This is when you realize right? the fun and games have gone too far. <laughs> She's showing you uh, pictures of guys' dicks, and that's not. Uh, Enough to for you to know that the fun and games have gone too far, right? Holy shit! Uh, anyway, uh, I told Betsy the computer was destroying our marriage. She said I was being ridiculous. Last week I got uh, uh, on the day shift and hope this will help. Meanwhile, Betsy is still online with Brian, running up charges in excess of three hundred dollars a month. Fresno. Wow. Here is. And Lander's response to Fresno. I have some responses <laughs> that I could give to Fresno here. <laughs> Dear Fresno, I have been hearing a lot of uh, of late about online romances and have concluded that there are now hundreds of married men and women flirting with strangers in this manner. We've talked about this before. Yes, we have. And you said this isn't cheating. I did say that. <clears throat> I think I changed my mind. You and your wife should seek joint counseling at once. <laughs> Other married folks who are engaging in what appears to be a harmless pastime should be aware that they are playing with fire. Therapists have labeled this a genuine addiction. And that's it. That's what she says. That's so, it? Yeah. Her advice is to get counseling at Seriously? once. Seriously? That's your advice? How about, you know, tell your wife to uh, take that modem and shove it up her fucking ass. How about that? Yeah, I think it's I think it's over. Yeah. You've allowed this, unfortunately, Fresno, you've allowed this to go too far. If you had stopped it at the guys are sending naked pictures to my wife phase, maybe you could have had joint counseling and, and fixed it, but... She's, she's sending, in love. She's sending nude photos back. She thinks that she's in love with one of these guys, quote-unquote Brian, this fucking uh, low-life Brian, by the way. What what kind of what kind of coward is sitting behind a computer trying to steal other people's wives? Well, I mean, in Brian's defense, does he even know she's married? I bet he does. Huh. I, I'm, I've already painted Brian as the villain in my head. So. Okay. I think <laughs> Betsy is the villain. I think Betsy's a little slut. Well, yeah. I agreed. They, they both are. I mean, I understand whatever she was feeling like neglected and stuff, but, you know, she got his attention. Now knock it off. Yeah. No good. <sighs> Poor dude. Have you ever uh, sent uh, pornographic images across the computer? What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess the Internet didn't really exist before we started dating. So you would, we would have had to have been dating when you did it. So I'm guessing no. Correct. <laughs> have you ever received pornographic images from guys? Unfortunately. Really? Yeah. What happened? Um, I blocked them. Interesting. But yeah, sometimes, you know, you're chatting with somebody and then all of a sudden you get a picture. Surprise dick. Yeah. It's no good. <laughs> 
That is not a surprise any lady wants. Right. Yeah, it's the most sensual part of the body, of anyone's body, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's messed up. But yes. I guess guys do that, right? Unfortunately, yeah. I don't know why. Like, why do you guys think that women want to see your dicks? Your dicks? Yes. <laughs> your dick pics. Your dick pics. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I like that. Dick pic. We've coined a new phrase here. Dick pic. Have you ever sent or received pornographic images? Mm-mm. Women don't do that unsolicited, I don't think. And I've never, I've never sent uh, a pornographic image. Right answer. It's the honest answer. (laughs) Good. I would hurt you. (laughs) So, finally, somehow, I I, I believe Kelly just tells him, but Dylan finds out about Brandon. Kelly, yeah. Kelly says, if if our relationship's going to have any chance of succeeding, I have to be honest with him, so I'm going to tell him. And then... Brandon's like, maybe I should tell him. And she's like, no, I think it'd be better if I told him. Yeah. She's like, let me tell him first. (laughs) Yeah. Then you can deal with it. And you were like, why can't they both tell him? Well, now we see why. (laughs) Yeah. The, what, five minutes it took him to drive all the way across town. Dylan doesn't seem like the type, but I guess he is. But to get violent? To come over and beat the fuck out of Brandon for kissing his girl. It just doesn't seem like something he'd do. Yeah. I mean, if he didn't care... It, he wouldn't, but he cares, obviously. I guess he seems more, like, aloof and, you know, whatever, like, Dean Martin, like, cool, you know, mm-hmm. detached a lot of times. But he does have the his flare-ups of emotion. Yeah, he's he's kind of unstable, honestly. Yeah, that's true. So, he pulls in the driveway, and Brandon knows exactly what is up. Of course. And Steve's there helping him and, and Brandon's mom get groceries out of the back <laughs> right. of the car. It's like the most fucking... It's like Dylan drives in uh, Rebel Without a Cause style into an episode of Leave it to Beaver. Right. <laughs> He's like, Wally, you fucked my girl. But he uh, he asks if he wants something to help him stay up, and he's like, oh, no, I don't do that stuff. He's like, oh, it's just caffeine pills. Take a couple of these. He's like, this will help you make it through. It's never ruined anyone's life. Ask Jesse Spano. <laughs> Right? And then he's like, if you want anything harder, don't be shy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, David's going to go down a dark, twisty road. But maybe he'll start accomplishing something. PCP, angel dust. God, I hope not. That'd be awesome. PCP, uh, you don't see PCP around too much anymore. No. There's some drugs that have... Uh, there's some 70s drugs that are that are basically just kind of gone now. Quaaludes. PC, oh, yeah, quaaludes for sure. Quaaludes, PCP, I can't think of any others. Acid, I mean. People, Acid's around. People still do acid sometimes, but it's not nearly as prevalent as it was. Hmm. Which is good because it can cause permanent damage. Uh-uh. I'm very anti-acid. No, oh, okay. no. Like a Tums. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That might have been the lamest <laughs> Anti-drug message ever. <laughs> we they should come up with an anti-drug commercial where it's a talking Tums. It's like, I'm anti-acid. 
Come on, though. Seriously, you can have. He could be sitting on a kid's shoulder. Oh God. Hey, you want to? You just take a little tab. It's blotter, you know. Just say no. <laughs> <laughs> But Donna is uh, maybe getting set up by her mom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, set up for a murder. <laughs> what? Donna's mom has committed uh, several gruesome murders in, in, in Oregon, and she's setting Donna up. Okay, it sounded like you said Donna's mob has committed several. I said mom. But... And then you said in Oregon, right? Yeah, Which I makes no sense. Pick the state. Because she lives <laughs> in Texas. That's the part that doesn't make sense. She lives in Texas. Okay, fine. <laughs> she committed several murders on the border okay. of Texas and Mexico <laughs> because she runs a drug cartel. That's Donna's mob. Right. What would Donna's mob be dressed like? That'd be in all sequins. <laughs> we are Donna's mob. What the fuck? This is our territory. and somehow brandon and steve charm them and convince them everything's okay Mm -hmm. they didn't mean for this to happen they weren't serving alcohol Mm -hmm. they're not going to let anybody drive home Mm -hmm. and they're going to make sure that everybody gets home safe yep what the fuck again with the straight lace bullshit and as soon as these dudes leave Steve's like, great, let's party. Yeah, I know. He's really, going to end up in jail. Really learned his lesson. Like, that's just going to happen. Like, he's going to have to do some time. Steve's going to need to get broken out of jail by uh, Donna's mob. <laughs> right? We're here for Steve Sanders. <laughs> Click our heels. Oh, goodness. I don't know why they have that accent, but that's Donna's mob for you. I think that's your attempt at a Mexican accent? It's not my attempt at a Mexican I can do a Mexican accent. Can you? Si, senor. Oh, God. Don't. <laughs> Maybe you can, and- but andale, you shouldn't. Andale, andale. <laughs> no, no. Right? No, no. Speedy Gonzalez. That's Mexican, right? I can also <gasps> do French. Oh, ma chérie. <laughs> or whatever. Pepe Le Pew. Okay, Pepe. Yeah, see, that's I learned all the accents I, I need to know. From Looney Tunes. Valerie and Dylan. Yeah. Valerie just shows up at Dylan's house. Like three quarters of the way through the episode. Yeah. I thought to myself, we haven't seen Valerie at all this episode. So he lets her in. She's just like, oh, Well, at first he says, I love how anytime I interrupt you, you look at me like you want to sick Donna's mob on me. (laughs) Stop the interrupting. (laughs) Um, it's more Spanish than it is Mexican. It's more Espanol. Like, it's, okay. more, it's more, yeah, whatever. But my confusion is that it's on the border of Texas and Mexico, so whatever. I think I it's care. just wrong. Go ahead. Uh, Sally Field, like me right now, says she wants to be alone. What? <laughs> the two-time Academy Award winner says she now realizes that people need their solitude and separateness. The 49-year-old star of the recently released Eye for an Eye reflects after two failed marriages that couples should have separate bedrooms 
There's something unnatural about sleeping in the same bed, dressing in the same closet, sharing everything, Fields says in the January 29th issue of People magazine. What the fuck? Fields says she has stopped feeling guilty about her lifelong pension for solitary activities such as needlepoint, reading and writing in her journal. Okay. Well, um, that's why you have two failed marriages, because you don't want to be with your husband. Yeah, don't. that's kind of weird, right? Yeah. I mean, there's something unnatural about sleeping next to. I disagree. I, I like writing in my journal and reading too, and I I do plastic canvas, not needlepoint. Needle yeah, right. but that doesn't mean that I don't also What's like plastic canvas. Explain to the folks out there what plastic <laughs> canvas is. It's kind of like cross stitch, but it's plastic. What's cross stitch? It's making a picture. Okay. With plastic squares that mm-hmm. you put yarn through mm-hmm. you know colored yarn i believe it's just called african-american yarn now i think that's <laughs> i think that's pretty politically incorrect you are so oh, colored yarn gross okay colored yarn only how is that gross because it's just you're a gross person <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> maybe you and sally field have more in common than you think <laughs> you're an asshole <laughs> but think about wow. they, they really think didn't. about all the, the think about all the all the names you've called to me this episode have i you called me an asshole. You said I was. What did you say? That I was. I don't know. Gross or something. Oh, like did I say you? Oh yeah, I said you were a gross person. Yes. <laughs> you know I love you. Who knows? You you're always so you're like the most posh person I know. What? You got this high class attitude about comedies. Oh. You're a comedy movie snob. I am not. What's your favorite comedy? Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. um, it's a toss up between three men and a little lady mm-hmm. and Beverly Hills Cop. Not three men and a baby. No. Three men and a little lady. Yes. It's much better than three men and a baby. You're high on drugs <laughs> right now. And Beverly Hills Cop. Yes. What's funny about that movie? Everything. Like Eddie Murphy is hilarious, and like Eddie Murphy's funny. The the like different like voices and stuff he does, and um. Do you like Police Academy? I don't remember that, that guy. One. That I don't does think I've ever the, seen it. Guy that does all the voices on Police Academy, Michael Winslow or whatever his name is. Uh-huh. You know he's. I don't think I've seen it. He can make sound effects with his voice. Okay. And the story is good. The story of this movie's good. No, it's not. Oh, come on. Okay, he's an angry hockey player who sucks. Yeah. His grandma loses the house because she never paid taxes her whole life. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And, like, <laughs> he's been his whole life trying to get to play hockey. He's never given up. He just keeps trying out. Mm. He keeps beating people up and never suffers any consequences for beating people up. He got up. beaten up by... by Bob Barker, that's the consequence he suffered. That's bullshit. Zombie Bob Barker beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and, um, I mean, his parents, like, what happened to his dad? He got hit in the face of the hockey puck and killed, and his mom took off to Egypt? Yeah, you what? remember the movie. It's just, I mean, there's, it's all stupid. It's like... What? It's that's what's funny not, about it. It's not anywhere near... I like to laugh at real life stuff. Like, like well, Seinfeld. Like in Beverly Hills Cop, right? Yeah. You liked real life stuff. Real like, life like stuff. The, like the murder of a, a Detroit police officer. Like a banana a peel uh, or like a banana of the tailpipe. Okay. That's hilarious. That's real life. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
And you think my sense of humor is juvenile? The man put the banana up the tailpipe. Oh my god. <laughs> That's the best thing you could come up with from Beverly Hills Cop. Wow. Well, and Surge, but I can't do that accent. I thought they were going to have another kid, but they never had another kid. Just the one. Maybe they were afraid that they'd have another deaf kid. (laughs) We keep getting deaf ones. (laughs) Like it's a bad prize in a Cracker Jack box or something like that. It's the whistle again. Actually, though, I think that would be really hard to deal with, don't you? Like, having a deaf kid and then having a hearing child and, like, having, like, all the differences that would, you know, like, they'd probably be, like, a rivalry and, eh. A rivalry? (laughs) (laughs) It's the classic rivalry, hearing versus deaf. What kind of rivalry would they have? For their parents' affection. Because of the dad, because hey, remember the, of the way the dad is. Remember the sound of dad's voice? Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, goodness. Maybe the next one would be blind. And then the third one couldn't speak. It could be a united, uh, it could be like the, the Bene- United Scholars of Benetton, but it's uh, the United Disabilities of Mr. Hollis. Oh, my God. Want to be born with spina bifida? They just they, her her womb is just uh, a <laughs> it's like a slot machine of disabilities. That's awful. What's it gonna go? What's it gonna come up? She's looking in the mirror and then she's like, "Do I look different?" You know, that's such a fucking cliche that I've seen so many times on like TV shows and stuff, and like girls don't think they look. Different. I mean, did you think you looked different? After I had sex with yeah. I, I had a huge smile on my face, so that was different. <laughs> my hand was red from high-fiving all my buddies. Oh, my God. That was different, but I guess, no, not really. Right. Like, I mean, I didn't sit there and be like, oh, did I look different? Like, I didn't grow a horn. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I did kind of feel disappointed when I realized that the world wasn't different. Like... Nothing changed. I kind of thought something would change. You expected uh, the president to get on the news. <laughs> we have just learned that Carol's lost her virginity. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird, though. It's a day of national celebration from now on. <laughs> Everyone gets a day off work and free condoms. National mourning, more like it. Oh, yeah. It wasn't good, huh? No. Um, it's because it wasn't with me. Exactly. You know, they're all attractive, though. Have you noticed that? Like, there's no ugly dental hygienist. You mean in the world or in Beverly Hills 90210? No, I mean, like, in the world, I have never seen an unattractive dental hygienist. I've never really noticed, but I guess you're right. I think it's something about those scrubs. (laughs) Those smocks that they wear or whatever. Right? Like, I haven't, none of them are overweight either. Like, they all have, like, the perfect cute little bodies with the cute little hair. I don't know. (laughs) Wow. It's annoying. You sound turned on and jealous at the same time. (laughs) I'm just saying, I think it's unfair for them to all be beautiful. Do you think it's one of those things where, like, at the outside of the dental hygienist school is, like, a silhouette, and it's like, you must fit into the shape (laughs) to enter this school like it's a roller coaster? That's exactly what it is. A 
movie, made-for-TV movie, Star Wars movie, called Caravan of Courage. It's an Ewok movie. <laughs> I want to see this. There's two Ewok movies. One's called Ewok Adventure, I think, and the other one's called Caravan of Courage. I think Caravan of Courage came first. Why are these not part of my life? I, I want Ewok movies. You've never seen either one of them? No. Oh, my God. They, so they came out in like the late 80s, I think, or maybe mid-ish 80s. I remember when I, from, you know, I remember them when they came out, but... I think the first one, so humans from Earth, I'm pretty sure, somehow get marooned on the the Ewok planet. And it's two kids and their parents, and I'm pretty sure their parents die. Oh, God. And then the Ewoks have to take care of them. Do the Ewoks eat their parents? I bet they did. Those The Ewoks eat people. Yeah, they were going to eat uh, Luke Skywalker and, and his friends. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you know, C three PO told them to stop. They are cute, but they are vicious. And they kill. They ate those stormtroopers. Right. At the end, there's just a bunch of empty stormtrooper heads. They ate those stormtroopers. <laughs> anyway, so can you imagine that that's your fate. You're fighting for the empire. You're you're part of an elite ground force on the ground, and and your ultimate fate is to be eaten by teddy bears. <laughs> <laughs> But at least you get to go out looking at the cute teddy bears. <laughs> yeah, that's probably that probably made them, that that glassy dead eyed stare. That probably made oh my them, god made them feel great. And Lucinda is the one who's doing the date yeah. rape class. Talk about rapist, right? She's trying to rape Brandon, and um, every interaction she has with him. Is her trying to get into... It's like some innuendo. It's like she's on a 70s dating show or something. She's very predatory. Yeah. It is kind of creepy. She's like, Brandon, if I was a popsicle, how would you eat me? Wow. <laughs> but, okay, so he he's in her date rape seminar mm-hmm. with his professor, her husband. Yeah. And is again invited to dinner that night. He's like, oh, that's tonight? <laughs> I love Brandon's casual, like, oh, this isn't happening. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, so the professor's like, oh, you know, the guy you're tutoring, whatever his name is, is going to be there. Deshaun. Yeah. His so, name is Deshaun. So he goes to dinner, and Lucinda, what the fuck did she say? It was, like, terrible. Like, she's coming on to him hardcore at the dinner table. She, he, she, they're talking to Deshaun. And he's like, yeah, Brandon, like, how is Brandon as a tutor? Oh, he's real hard. And she goes, yeah, I, I found that or something like that. And she's like, she's like, I see that. Yeah. I think she says, and even Deshaun lo- looks like, what the fuck? Yeah, because of the way she says it and, like, looks at him and stuff. It was like, there wasn't, it wasn't even thinly veiled. No. And it's right in front of her husband. And he doesn't bat an eye. Is he, do you think he's oblivious or do you think? He doesn't care. I think she makes tapes and he watches them. <laughs> That's what I think. Okay. I think there's some kind of... I, and I think the whole kink is that she can't tell Brandon <laughs> that he's into it. Right. She's got to win him over. And it's only it's only students that he takes a particular liking to. Like, he's, he's her... What do they call them? Like, procurer or whatever, right? Like, he picks a student at the beginning of the year and befriends wow. him. I think, yeah, I think that's a whole conspiracy going on here. That's some crazy shit right there. Yeah, it is. But that's 902 you. 
are Italians white? Yes. Well, then I would think that Jewish people would also be considered white. Okay. Well, and you know what? Hispanic people are considered white, too. But they have, like, an what? extra checkbox. <laughs> every time every time there's a checkpoint for a police, they've got an extra one. For whites go through. Hispanics, an extra one. No. I, you know what I mean? Like, I know. It's like. Which, you know what he said to me today <laughs> while we were out shopping? Yeah. We were trying to find the car, and I had a full cart, and I was trying to figure out how to get across the parking lot because there was something in my way, and I stopped to think for a second, <laughs> and then I pushed the cart over the hump on the cement. And he's like, it's such a privilege to watch your mind at work. Like, fuck off. I don't even understand what was so fucking funny about that, that you had to be a dick. Because we're standing there, and you go, where's the car? And I was like, oh, it's down that way. And instead of going down the <laughs> the ramp that they provide to, to go to where the car sparks, you turn down there. I don't say anything, because I'm like, whatever, let her do her thing. You turn to go down the one thing. Towards it's, where he said the car was. It Yeah, but it's festooned with plants. It looked like it looked like the set of Romancing the Stone. <laughs> and then you stop and just kind of stare. <laughs> like, well, we can't go that way. And then instead of going back the two feet to go down the ramp, you slowly inch the cart to uh, the hump, as you call it. It's called a curb. <laughs> You're so mean. And then just kind of like stare for a second, like you don't know what's going to happen. Then you inch it forward a little bit more, and then it and then it clunks down onto the the street, and then you were able to get the bottom end and then go. So my response to that was, having just sat there and observed all that, was it's just an honor to watch your mind at work. Oh, my stomach hurts for laughing. <sighs> You're such a dick. I thought there would be another ramp down a little ways. Right. But there wasn't. No. That's all. <laughs> I've been pressured, though. Uh, I don't know if I've ever been pressured either, honestly. I literally... I've been offered. Yeah. I literally was held down. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that sounds like a completely different problem. <laughs> well, it was uh, it was my friend's uh, bachelorette party, and she was like, drink with me. Wow. And I didn't so want to. So you got held down at a bachelorette party. Yes. And something forcibly put in your mouth. <laughs> Attempted, yes. Attempted. That didn't work. <laughs> no. Anyways. You've always got teeth. So. That's right. Uh, Wig is the next band. They're a heavy dark rock. I don't like dark rock. <laughs> Their album is called Deliverance. Maybe they squeal like pigs on it. I like dark things, though. Like, not dark rock. Like what? <laughs> well, like... What dark things do you like, Carol? Like horror movies and, and oh, okay. like, goth style and... Goth style? What's, yeah. What's goth? What's goth? Come on. Come on. 
You come on, tell me what goth is. You know, not wearing all, the, all I black. I know what goth is, but not all the people are going to know what and goth is. And wearing black makeup and black lipstick and dyeing your hair black. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I would do if it weren't oh. for the fact that, you know, you like it when I look like a person instead of a zombie. So. Yeah, people that like to dress up like corpses. Yeah. I would totally do and that. Cut themselves with razor blades. Wow. That took it even darker. Well, that's 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 the kind of dark rock you're gonna get with wig. Well, dark. I'm just saying, like dark rock. Like it's usually like close to heavy metal, right? I don't know. I've never really heard of the sound of dark rock. I've heard of heavy metal. I've heard of you know heavy rock, but I've never heard of heavy dark rock. I don't like it when they just throw. A, they, they don't even do music. They just throw a chunk of obsidian <laughs> on the stage. There's a heavy dark rock. There you go. I don't like screaming. Like, oh, is that what it is? Is it that the, the, the like a? Hello? That's what I am envision from the term dark rock, but I don't know if it's right. Like, what's his name? The guy that cuts himself on stage Ugh. all the time. Oh, I can't think of his name now. Oh, damn it! It's gonna drive me nuts. It's gonna drive me nuts. I didn't even know about this. Yeah, there's this dude. He's a heavy rock guy, and he's not super popular. I think he's dead. If I remember, Maybe he killed himself. If I remember correctly, but he like he used to cut cut himself on stage and stuff like that. He bleed all over the audience. Oh my god, mm. that's not okay. I can't remember his name. Hello, though. AIDS. <laughs> what? W- worst greeting card ever. <laughs> Hello, AIDS. <laughs> it's just not right. That's what that's. That's the greeting card that Telly buys for every girl he slept. Oh, my God. It's like a sympathy card. Just like after he sleeps with them, just hands him the card and leaves. They open it up and it says, hello, AIDS. <laughs> and then it's just got an AIDS pamphlet in there. <laughs> things that you can do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the next band on this list probably doesn't have AIDS. Their code twenty five twenty in the year twenty five twenty nine. Verve Pipe is what they're called. I've not heard of them either. They're a college rock uh, band. Hmm. Their first album or whatever is called Pop Smear. Ew! Pop Smear. Come on. Stop it with the bodily fluid stuff. What they are. Uh, Then there's Horse Heavy Alternative Rock. They have no disc. Heavy, yet. man. Oh, it's very heavy. They don't have any code either because they don't have an album out yet. Uh, then there's Insane Clown Posse. We have talked about Insane Clown Posse before. How the fuck do they get on a list to call in and listen to their music and they don't even have music to put on the thing? Well, they have music. It's like it's not like it's not like they they're sitting around in their basement and they're like, hey. <laughs> Let's start a band. What would we call it? Horse. What, what, would it, what would the sound be? Uh, how about heavy metal rock? All right. Let's call the free press. But what are we supposed to do with this information? There's no number, so why are they on the list? Well, the reason they're on the list is because they are completing negotiations with RCA right now to sign with RCA Records. So they have music. They just The free press doesn't have uh, access to it, I guess. Then they get Getaway Cruiser. Edgy pop rock band is three fourths of what used to be Whirling Road. 
<laughs> I love that they put that in there in the sound. They also have no disc, and you can't call in to hear them. Label interest from Atlantic Geffen, Columbia. So <laughs> Atlantic Geffen is somewhat interested in three-fourths of what used to be <laughs> Whirling Road, and it's good enough to make this list. I think the person that did this was like, there's not there's not a band on here to make a list. Right? Wow. That's This is an embarrassment. <laughs> we went to the theater, the theater, <laughs> and saw 12 Monkeys, the newest Terry Gilliam film. Are you familiar with any of Terry Terry Gilliam's Uvoa? No. He uh, did this movie that I don't like called Brazil. Not, is, not 11 Monkeys. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, you should have made that joke. You should have made that joke. It's like, I, uh, I wasn't sure if, if I would be able to uh, keep up with this movie because I haven't seen 1 through 11 Monkeys. Hmm. <laughs> See, that's my joke. <laughs> and I stepped all over it. No, you didn't step all over it. You just, I wasn't going to make that joke. But then you made a joke similar to that joke. Uh-uh. That made me laugh. You're rubbing off on me. I guess. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, no. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So. We watched 12 Monkeys with uh, with Bruce Willis and Bradley Pitts. Yes, we did. It was, uh, it was all right. Yeah, it was good. It was, there was so much going on. It's probably Terry Gilliam's best movie, I guess. Okay. Like I said, I don't really like Brazil that much. I don't like a lot of the stuff he does. But it was, uh, it's based on a French film from 1962. Hmm. One of the interesting things about this French film is the name I can't remember, something in French. Uh, but it's largely told through still photographs. Oh, weird. Instead of like being a movie, it's like it's like a a parade of still photographs. I don't like that. With voiceover telling the story. I would not enjoy that at I, all. I think it's it's cinema whatever, the left bank uh, influence or whatever, you know, it's that uh, experimental French cinema of the 60s. Sure. Anyway, this film. <sighs> so what What did you like about it? What did you like about the movie? Um. Okay, so I kind of liked how it all wrapped together. Mm-hmm. You know, like the end of the movie was sad, but appropriate because it fit with the beginning yeah and um i mean the acting was really good see you didn't like uh, you said that you didn't like brad pitt's acting at first well yeah i mean i i feel like he was a little over the top Mm -hmm. but like you said you think that was on purpose so i take it back i think it's yeah i think it was the the direction because what it so this movie basically the over the the bare bones plot of this movie, because there's a, it's very serpentine. There's a lot going on. But the bare bones plot of this movie is in 1997. There's a huge pandemic that kills five billion people, almost the entire population. That's insane. Of the world. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Uh, and then 
you know, like human beings have to, the ones that survive go underground. So they're spending their whole lives inside, underground. They can never go outside. They can never see the sky and stuff like that. They can never breathe the fresh air. They don't socialize very much with each other because they're all underground. Sounds horrific. Yeah. Like just a complete dystopian future. Uh, and. God, can you imagine being locked up and away from everybody for like long periods of time? That'd no. be terrible. Terrible. So this dude, Bruce Willis, is, I think, what's his name, James Cole or something yeah. like that? Or, he's, he is a prisoner. Which we don't know why. No, they just said he has a history of violence and, and stuff like that. So, like, he's not a good guy. Not really, no. But he's our hero. Yeah. <laughs> he's, so he's a prisoner, and they ask for, quote-unquote, volunteers. It's, it's mandatory volunteer duty. For uh, people from time to time, and apparently none of the volunteers have ever come back. But he does. No, he doesn't. He doesn't come back to his cell. Oh, okay. Because uh, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about with Jose, his cellmate or whatever, that no one ever comes back. And so, yeah, the plot is these. there's a bunch of scientists at this facility, this prison. And they have figured out a way to travel through time. They they say many times they can't stop the virus. That's not their their objective is not to stop the virus, right? Because it's the past. It's already happened. They can't change the past. Yeah, basically their their point of view is, you know, like this. All this stuff's already it's cause it's causality thing. All this stuff has already happened. Therefore, we can't change it. What we want to do is figure out who releases this virus. They think that it's this army of the 12 monkeys that release this virus. And they want to know who does it because they need to study the pure form of the virus before it mutates. Because if they do that, they can come up with a cure to the virus, a vaccine or something like that. And then human beings in the present for them, which is 2035 can go back to the surface. They can live on the surface again. How this virus is still alive on the surface of the Earth, if there's no people to infect yeah, on the surface like of the Earth... almost I, 40 years later. I don't know. I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. Well, they said the animals took over again. Mm -hmm. And we see that, too, like when he first goes up to the surface, that there's... Bears. And, lions yeah. and... Yeah. So and tigers, oh my! You know, and and sometimes, <laughs> rarely, but sometimes, viruses can pass from people and animals. So mm -hmm. maybe this is one that they share. Maybe I guess. And the animals aren't affected by it, but they just carry it. That's the only explanation, but it's it's real thin. Yeah. And if that's see that because it's so thin, that's something I think the movie should spell out. Yeah. But instead, they just they act like this virus can just live host free in the air forever. Maybe the person who wrote the movie just doesn't know anything about viruses, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's gonna be it. <laughs> because the movie this is based on, it's it's uh, the apocalypse is a nuclear war. Mm. It takes place after a nuclear holocaust instead of a virus. Mm -hmm. And I think the I if I remember correctly, I think the reasoning that they send people back in time is to 
try to stop it, but they end up, they can't stop it. It's one of those causality loop things. Uh, but anyway, so predetermination. So that's the basic plot of the movie. They set, they want to send Bruce Willis back in time uh, to find the pure form of the virus. And they you have to be mentally tough to handle going back in time because it's very taxing mentally. I would imagine that would be. And it's not entirely perfected either because they accidentally send him to 1990 yeah. instead of 1996 the year we're now in <laughs> where where they want where they you know intend to send him. Yeah, this takes the like the movie takes place in 1990, 96 and 2035. Um and at the end of like yeah, at the end of 96 because the the virus gets released around Christmas time 1996. So a little less than a year from now. Yeah. It's kind of creepy. Yeah. But anyway, so he he goes back in time and he's you know, he's trying to figure this out. He meets Madeline Stowe and well, he meets her because he's a mental patient mm-hmm. and she's a psychiatrist. Let's not act like it's a meet, you know, cute situation. So, I mean, instead of going through like the whole plot of of the movie really, like which is something that we we try not to do. Cuz movies are so very long. Yeah, we'll talk about like I want to talk kind of about the themes. So they okay. mentioned the Cassandra Complex, which, for those of you that don't know, the Cassandra Complex me is a Cassandra in Greek myth, as they explain in the movie too, was a woman cursed with knowing the future, but not being able to change it, and no one believes her. Mm-hmm. Like she tries to warn people about the, the future, and no one believes that she actually can see the future, and so nothing changes. So she's you know, burdened with the gift of foreknowledge. So the Cassandra complex is the belief that you know what's going to happen and no one believes you. Or the predicament of actually knowing what's going to happen and no one believes you, which is what Bruce Willis is going through in this movie. Uh, So that's one of the themes is, you know, the Cassandra complex and predetermination, uh, you know, fate, stuff like that. Those are big themes in in the movie. Um, Because... Bruce Willis has this this vision from when he was a kid at an airport seeing this guy get shot and killed. And it was like one of the last things that he remembers before they all go underground and mm-hmm. stuff because of the virus. And it like occurs to him over and over again. Yeah, it's all through the movie. And like as he meets people in the movie, their faces mm-hmm. become part of it. Whereas before they didn't really, they weren't as well defined. Yeah. And Madeline Stowe is one of those one of the women in like screaming and stuff, but she's got blonde hair instead of yeah. her, her black hair. And it turns out at the end, you know, it, like I said, if you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie, then then watch. Yeah, the, stop wa- listening to us and go watch the movie. And come don't back. be a maniac. But uh, at the so it turns out that it, it's Bruce Willis as an adult getting killed. He sees himself by the police. So yeah, killed. as a little boy. He witnesses his own death. And he doesn't realize that that's what he's witnessed. Mm-hmm. Until the very end, too. Like, mm-hmm. I think... And why does... Uh, Jose, right? Jose brings him the gun? Yeah. So, they, it find, they find out... So, he goes... At, at, earlier in the movie, he goes to this mental hospital where Brad Pitt is. And Brad Pitt helps engineer his escape. 
And Brad Pitt's the leader of this army of the 12 monkeys. Mm -hmm. And they're doing all this, like, you know, down with the man, corporate, you know, like kind of stuff. Yeah. And his dad is this big virologist. So everyone thinks that he's the one that, that does it. And all the scientists in the future think that he's the one that does it. But the reason they think that is because the clues they're getting are from Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe, who are acting on the the evidence that that they've already presented. Yeah. So that's what like a causality loop is, right. because they it's a it's almost like a paradox because they did it, then that stuff gets sent to the future and it leads them on the path, which is what influences the future. It's a weird kind of causality thing. Um, but it turns out that it's not. It's uh, David Morris, who was on Saint Elsewhere. Should I? Oh, no. Oh, I didn't do it. No, you should not. One of these days, I'll play it again and I'll get you all. No. <laughs> but, but yeah, David Morris, who who was on Saint Elsewhere, is uh, as um, Doctor uh, Morrison, Doctor Jack Morrison. So the 12 monkeys, what all they really do is release animals from the zoo. Yeah. Which kind of starts the animals taking over, I guess. Yeah. They release the animals from the zoo and they put his dad, Christopher Plummer, into one of the cages. As like, a, you know, hey, people are the ones should, who should be in the cages mm-hmm. kind of thing. Fuck everyone. And, yeah, so that's like the causality causality and predetermination. And it's that it's that old story. It's a more complex version of that old story where it's like, um, you know, uh, someone's like, hey, you know, I heard that death's looking for you. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy that lives on the farm, oh, you know, I heard that, that death's looking for you and everything. And um, he's like, oh, no, no, death's around. I, You know, I got to, like he says to his dad, he's like, He's like, death's coming for me. What am I going to do? And he's like, well, run away. You know, go go from the farm and go into the city and everything and and stuff. And he leaves. And then, like, death strolls through the town. And the dad's like, oh. And he's like, hey, my son's not here. I heard you, you know, you might be looking for him. But, uh, you know, he's not here right now. And he's like, oh, your son. Yeah, I have an appointment with him in the city later. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, it's like that, uh, that kind of thing where it's like it doesn't matter what you do. The future is going to happen. Mm-hmm. As you know, as it as it's supposed to happen, or whatever. So yeah, so he sees himself get killed mm-hmm. when he's a child, and it haunts him his whole life. Yep. And that's that's what I said. That's what it begins and ends with. But um, the virus itself still gets released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's that's it. They tell us the entire movie, we're not going to stop this from happening. The only good thing, the only like glint of hope is that one of the scientists then is on the plane with the guy with the virus, with so David you're thinking Morrison. that maybe they're going to get the virus that they want, but you don't even know. Yeah, I think the implication is that they get it, and I think the implication is they always got it. They always got it at that point. Mm. But they didn't, like, they knew they had to send him. Because he's the one that gets the information for them. But they don't... Like, it's another causality thing. It's like, they knew this was going to happen. But they, you know... they All they can do is affect their future. They can't, they can't change the past. So they're going to get a sample of the virus. And they're going to, you know, make a cure or something like that. And human beings will eventually take over the Earth again and, and continue to destroy it. <laughs> See, there's... the. 
So I liked this movie for a few different things. Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt are both excellent in the movie. Yes. Very good. Like I said, you said he's a little over the top, which I agree with, but I think that's the point. When we go into the mental institution, everything's shot at like Dutch angles and everything's all crazy and, and shit like that. And it's I think it's it's like a it's a hyper reality of what a mental institution would be like. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine that any mental institutions actually like this. But this is like a big play up of, of what they're like. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, but even more, even, even more, more so. yeah, than that. Uh, so, you know, that's, there's that aspect to it. Um, and I like the acting between the two of them. Madeline Stowe is as solid as, as she is in, in pretty much everything that she does. Um, and like you said, I like the I like some of the themes of predeterminism and the Cassandra complex and 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 fate and stuff like that. And I like how the whole movie is a a paradox, or the whole movie is a, a causality loop. Like, not only does the movie talk about causality loops, but the whole movie is a causality loop. It begins with him as a kid mm-hmm. seeing this this murder because he's dreaming it, and then it ends with him being murdered, and the kid, him, seeing this murder happen. So the whole thing is, like, his life is one big loop like this. And Margaret Stowe figures it out at the very end, too, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she looks right at the boy and stuff. She recognizes him, yeah. Yeah, weird that she doesn't uh, just stalk that kid and eventually have sex with him. Ew! But I think she probably dies, right? Like, she probably dies from this virus. Probably. And, you know... They never did have sex. No. They never, I mean, they they kissed one time. Yeah, that's the other thing I kind of like about the movie is that it believably develops this relationship in subtle ways. There's no, there's no big things that happen that this relationship develops. It just kind of coalesces from them spending time together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how most relationships actually form. But there are things that I think the movie's a little overly complex. I think the movie's a little... I think the movie's a little over the top in some ways. Like, you were talking about the acting being over the top. And I think that's not a fault of Brad Pitt's. I think that's the direction that he was given. But I think that that doesn't work in this movie. Well, when I was watching it, I'm thinking to myself, I'm watching someone pretend to be crazy. Mm-hmm. And I that's why I think it doesn't work as yeah. much in this movie. I mean, I honestly, at certain points, was, was thinking maybe he's not crazy and he's supposed to be pretending so he can be there or something. But he was crazy in the movie. Yeah. He, he really, you know, he was less over the top about it when he was out of the mental institution, mm-hmm. which I guess makes sense because he's obviously doing better if he's out of the institution. Right. But. but yeah, I think, and I, like I said, I, I think that's a bad thing. I just don't think it's Brad Pitt's fault. Right. I think Terry Gilliam was like, no, play it like this more, more, more. I think that was like his direction because that's the vision Terry Gilliam had for this, especially this section of the movie. But I don't, I don't think it works. It doesn't work for me in, in this context. And some of the fugitive, like we're on the run from the police kind of stuff also doesn't work for me that much in this movie. Mm-hmm. The the this would work a lot better as a race against the clock. It would also work a lot better if they thought that they could stop the virus. I think Matt maybe Madeline Stowe thinks that. 
I think what it should have started out is, and what the character arc of Bruce Willis's character should have been, is the scientists tell him, we're sending you back in time. You can't change anything. It is impossible. It already happened. And that's his attitude. But as he falls in love with the world and with this woman, he starts to believe that maybe he can change it. Maybe he can have a happy ending, stop this virus, and live in this world that he loves uh, for, you know, for the rest of his life. And at that point, we could, we as an audience could re-fall in love with the beauty of the world that we live in and, and nature and stuff like that. And I think that would make the the themes of, like, the destruction of natural resources and and the abuse of animals and stuff like that, the, the the background themes that play throughout this movie, I think that would give them more of an impact. And then it becomes even more tragic at the end when it turns out that you the scientists were right, you can't change anything from the past, and he ends up dying. I think that all that works better, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I definitely I can see that, and I think that would work better. I I don't think that at any point he thought that he could change it though i think that what happened though he started to think that he was crazy and that you know it wasn't going to happen he thought he was crazy and that it wasn't going to happen but madeline stowe quickly tells him no you're not crazy i found all this evidence that you really are a time traveler Here's a picture I happen to have from World War One. Yeah, what the fuck was where that? You, that you're in. She got pictures from World War One all over her walls. What is she crazy? Like, why yeah. did she have that? Her going apartment on? looked crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was a little weird. But anyway, so she, you know, she's like, no, you know, you're not crazy. It really is going to happen. And their solution is, let's go to the Florida Keys. He's never seen the ocean. I want to see the ocean. Let's go to the Florida Keys, and we'll just sit out this virus there. And and you know, if it if it happens, then she she says, "Hey, if if you know by May or something like that, people aren't sick and stuff, we'll be you know we'll be really happy that we were wrong, and we'll both just be happy and crazy together. But if we're but if we're right and it does happen, at least we'll be together and we can be in this beautiful place and stuff like that." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the world ends around us. Um, but to me, that's not like, that's not hopeful enough. That's, that doesn't set you up for, you know, he can do this and then crush you Yeah. at the end. I think to get the emotional impact that he wants, Bruce Willis has to believe I can stop David Morris. I shed no tears. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like... It's it's a cool movie with a cool aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But I think Terry, and this is a problem with Terry Gilliam, I think Terry Gilliam uh, cares more about the cool uh, outer layer of his film than the inner workings yeah. of this world. And the emotional core, there's not really an emotional core to this movie. There's nothing you can really grab onto emotionally. And it, the movie didn't affect me emotionally. Yeah. It was, you know, it was a cool movie and it was fun to watch, but it's not it's not one that I'm going to be like, "Hey, this is going to live in my in my heart and my brain for a long time." 
Well, you know, he's not a great hero. No. Because, I mean, and he, like, with his bare hands, kills more than one person on screen. Yes. That may or may not have deserved it. I mean, the one guy was going to rape her, yeah. so whatever. But, yeah, he, he's definitely a violent, scary dude. And that would be fine as an anti-hero type thing. That would be fine if, like I said, there was more of an emotional core to this movie. Yeah. And like I said, we could parallel him falling in love with the world, which we get a little glimpses of, because he's like, oh, I love breathing this air and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, with falling in love with her. Those two things could parallel. And, you know, we could, there could be a good emotional core to this movie, but there just really isn't. Yeah. I agree. Well, that is our episode for the week. Uh, we are happy to be back. We're hoping... We're happy, hopey, we're hopefully, we're hoping that you're happy to have us back. Uh, but Carol, why don't you tell the people once again in 1996 what they need to do? So go ahead and tell your friends about the show. Do it. Um, write us at latefee1994 at AOL.com. That would be great. Check out the website, www.retrolatefee.com. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye.